and welcome to the first ever LOP Radio Brit Shock. Yes, it's an aftershock of the uh, show that happened yesterday, NXT TakeOver UK, the first official takeover for the NXT UK brand. And for this momentous occasion, I've roped in three of the, going to say best, but they're British people we've got. <laughs> They'll do. <laughs> we've got, from the right side of the pond, Maverick. Hello. From the right side of the pond, slash seed. It's plan. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> And fresh off the boat of, I guess, retirement, it's Lee. Hello from security. We have done one of these before. However, we didn't have a name and it was just a, yeah, let's give it a go, see how it goes. And I feel like it was okay. <laughs> let's do another one. Uh, the plan is, uh, I'm, we're recording this Sunday morning, so it's the day after NXT TakeOver UK. Well, that's not the right word order. Uh, yeah, because, so uh, we've had a bit of time to think about it. Plans written a column, which is available on Lords of Pain now. Which was like an immediate review. And myself and Mav have had time to marinate in our thoughts. <laughs> so, we'll immediately get on with it. We've also been asked to translate some of the chants <laughs> for some of the <laughs> foreigners. <laughs> we didn't seem to catch what was being said, so for each match we'll try and run through those. So first off, Mustache Mountain versus Grizzled Young Veterans, Gibson and Drake. I don't think they're called the Grizzled Young Veterans in here. I think just Gibson and Drake. Am I right, Lee? Yeah, you're right. Uh, that's good to actually make a point about that. Mm. I don't know. The only reason I can think why they're not referring to them with that name on television, where it's a WWE type of thing, where they don't like the fact that it'd be acknowledging how long they've had a career outside of WWE. It's the only reason I can think why they're not using that awesome name. <laughs> I think um, I've heard McGuinness use it on commentary in some of the shows. Like, so he has kind of mentioned it they just haven't like put it on the match graphics and stuff like that i think they seem to be like going quite hard on this idea of gibson as being drake's mentor so maybe they want to sell that a bit more so not calling both of them veterans i guess yeah that makes sense yeah i guess because they are they did have gibson win the tournament uk championship tournament so i guess on the rungs he's a bit higher than drake who hasn't really done anything about apart from get those chance of you've got your own face on your on your ass <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> <laughs> it. I think the camouflage pants helped him last night because I didn't really hear too many chants alongside yeah. that. Well, that, and the match was really good. <laughs> like they didn't really give him a chance to. It's like every time the chant started, like they do something and the kind of pace would kick, kick up, so the fans were getting invested in that. Like Tyler Bate would do a flip or something, and <laughs> the guy would go, "Oh!" <laughs> so they're not chanting. Uh, so we will run through the chants. So Sir Sam said, "What on earth are they chanting at the beginning?" I, I rewatched it this morning just to check I hadn't missed anything. But as far as I caught it was Big Strong Boy <laughs> for Tyler Bate. Who's just the Big Strong Boy. And they do the Tyler, Tyler Bate, yeah. Tyler Bate as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, of course, there are all the Gibson and Drake chants. There's quite a few. <laughs> so, actually, Leaf, you've been to so many progress shows. Do you want to quickly run down the Gibson chants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's the... Um... There's a one which is now accompanied by a visual aid of um, <laughs> shoes off if you hate Gibson. Um, that evolved from the stand up and sit down if you hate Gibson, but the shoes off seems to have more of an impact. Um, why do people take... I don't understand why people take their <laughs> shoes off. Is there a reason or is it just... Was, was Dahlia Black the first one to do it at like the UK? Yeah, yeah. she started it and um, Dahlia Black, for those unaware... Um, progress commentator from time to time oh, um, but former um, pro, you know former progress wrestling uh, women's wrestler um, I think she's retired completely from wrestling now actually it's a shame she was great but mm. um, she started that and then uh, she actually started that looking at photos that she posted from quite far back in the room of one of the original tapings I believe it was or the UK Championship Tournament and um, somehow it's 
caught on, but fair enough. <laughs> there's a, that going on. Um, I think the the main Gibson thing they didn't really have a chance to do, and that's just simply booing the living heck out of him. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen like a, a massive opening promo from Zach Gibson where he mentions his catchphrase soon, but it didn't really happen. To be quite honest with yourself, even though I've been to quite a lot of shows, a lot of the Gibson chants do actually go over my head besides that one. Um, I think the most significant thing that we had last night wasn't really a chant, but that amazing crowd sign oh, yes. um, with, was number two. <laughs> yeah, with his, his head on a cartoon boiler just bobbing up and down. <laughs> like Gibson number two. <laughs> <laughs> that was the night if we have to award one. <laughs> well, that was, that was like the... That's the only sign I saw, as far as I know as well. It's like, oh, it's clear winner, though. <laughs> no one. See, even when I talk about it, then my voice broke. <laughs> That's how funny I found it. Yeah, a fantastic start to the show with a sign like that. <laughs> and, of course, there's also the Drake chants. So the, yeah. you got your own face on your arse, but it didn't really kick off, really. And mostly because the match didn't really give them an opportunity to. Like, normally, for that to happen, they need, like, a rest period or, like, a headlock, like a villain headlock or something like that. But that never came because the match was so high-octane. And it really felt like what the tag matches that have opened takeovers in the past. So we'll go to plan now because we're talking more about the actual match itself. How did you think this kind of compared to other takeover tag match openers? Well, when I, you know, when I do match reviews, I always try and like to uh, watch them twice before I give a reasoned opinion. But I've obviously not had a chance to to do that. Uh, my first reaction was I, having recently just gone through. Um, the stuff that Mustache Mountain did with Undisputed Era last year on uh, the US NXT for, you know, match of the year type stuff. The second match they had with Undisputed Era, which was on an episode of NXT itself, was so, I thought, special and and phenomenal that I don't think I was ever going to love anything they did last night quite as much as that. But I thought it was still, you know, really very good. That I loved the the um, I mean to be fair they they won me over the minute that Mustache Mountain came out decked in British Bulldog style gear and did that little nod of the head to the British Bulldogs in the 1980s and it seemed to to be fair it seemed to really suit Mustache Mountain as performers wearing that kind of ring gear as well because they've sort of always been a bit oldie worldy in the uh, the way they dress in the ring and the match itself just going on on first impressions you know it was it was feature length which was great i loved the performance of um uh i'm useless with with names the grizzled young veterans i'll just say uh, gibson and uh, drake um because i mean i was i was really won over by zach gibson in the uk tony that was the first time i'd seen him and uh, i love and he did it again last night i love the little thing you know and if it kind of makes sense if you know leave saying that people usually just boo the living hell out of him the way he, he always talks trash to the to the other guy at the start of the match and holds his hand out as if he's sort of physically pushing the audience away and he always has seems to have this really great sort of sense of severe focus in the ring which i really like um and i love the fact that it did you know what i wrote in the first impression review i posted on lp was that the specter of their of mustache mountains experiences with undisputed era loomed large as well because the uh uh, the Grizzled Young Vets essentially followed the same game plan, which was to pick out the older of the two, uh, Trent Seven, and, and while away on a on a body part uh, to to really heighten the drama. Um, I I probably got the wrong kind of a laugh out of the sort of decisive moment when Seven went to do a suicide dive on the outside at the end and just sort of ended up belly flopping on the floor and then didn't move, which visually was was uh, elicited a chuckle from me. But I love the fact that that you know it was it was it was his kind of desperation that cost Mustache Mountain 
the championships and I love the fact they didn't go for the obvious winner as well and I also love the UK tag belts I think they're absolutely stunning Hmm. also with that spot uh, with the meal with the meal with the show I was eating a lovely steak and chips (laughs) so I was just oh oh, Trent Seven's going to do a suicide dive that's cool and I looked down at my lovely steak and then when I looked up I was like what's happened Trent (laughs) he's just face down face planted on the floor yeah it was good I mean yeah yeah, I imagine it must have been planned in some way because it was the finish of the match wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah you could look at it and go oh god was that a botch but I don't think it was yeah Hmm. it was a couple of decisive moments from James Drake which were just, just brilliant how quick they were in between. And so first his own suicide dive, and then the, you know the cut off um, drop kick leg drop, so to speak, um, for Trent Seven's dive. I felt I, I, I don't know if you guys agree, but I felt that besides the obvious Tyler Bates spots, James Drake for me was the MVP of that match because oh I mean, yeah, mm. we're very much aware of what the other three can do in in that ring. But James Drake, we've seen before the this brand being booted up we've seen him having the occasional appearances um no major matches today and i felt like he he's a great tag team wrestler he plays off gibson so well um i don't think he has a polarizing figure for maybe the other three people in that match but he's so technically sound he's great to watch i thought his spot his spot with the um the the, uh skelter into the 450 i thought that was like that was the sort of spot of the match for me. I thought that was like tremendous, like brilliant, brilliantly executed um, near fall, I thought. And yeah, he, I, he's really impressed me. I have to say, like he, you kind of look at him and he looks like kind of, you know, generic UK wrestler number four. But actually, since him and Gibson started getting this kind of tag team run going over the, like the last, you know, like four or five weeks of the weekly show, yeah, he's he's impressed me, and I think he he stepped it up a level in that match. And as you say, the other three have got quite a profile. So, yeah, he's done himself no harm whatsoever with that performance. I think. I think across the board last night there was a there was a real sense from everyone involved on that show of understanding the stage that they'd been handed and really deciding to sort of take it by the throat and and seize the opportunity. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but genuinely there was a real sense of everybody involved on that show in every match, you know, really seizing their opportunity and showing the world what they can do. And it was fantastic to see. Yeah, plus the uh, like day before they were all on the morning TV shows, especially Trent Seven, Tyler, uh, well, British Strong Style. Those three guys were doing the rounds, so they were on like Good Morning Britain, which... Trent was like, oh, no, Piers Morgan's not here. Oh, <laughs> what a shame. Oh. Well, they basically all went, they all came out as vegan, didn't they? Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> Trent Seven retweeted Good Morning Britain's tweet with, where's Piers? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, funny story with that. Um, Imp, do you remember that show that we did? We were discussing World Sport where we had our oh, mum's yeah. thoughts. Yes. I have some mum's thoughts for Good Morning Britain. Oh. Apparently, <laughs> absolutely lovely chaps. So there oh, is that. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that was a running thing where we watched it. We both happened to watch World of Sport with our mums. <laughs> so it was just, let's give some fun mum, mum lines <laughs> to see what they said. Uh, I think the from World of Sport, I think me and Plan did a show. And was it Crater? Yeah. It was called Crater. Yeah, yeah, Man of Anguish. Yeah, so we have taken the piss out because he didn't have a character really. <laughs> so we are just like, a man of anguish. <laughs> but then he, <laughs> re- <laughs> then he retweeted it on Twitter. It's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thanks for the retweet, Crater. But <laughs> well, that was a, a few days ago. I I retweeted Wolfgang and and basically sort of implied I was taking the piss out of what I thought was some awful trash talk on Twitter, and then he retweeted that. Oh. 
Oh, uh, they like the attention. Attention's good for wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, with the kind of flow of this match, Mustache Mountain seemed to have it in the bag, and then some at some point, Grizzled Infections just snatched that momentum away from them. They've already talked about the Helter Skelter into the 450. And there's just like a sudden snatch of momentum, and he's like, oh shit, he's Helter Skelter. Oh shit, the 450, no! And then he kicks out, or whatever it was to break the, the the double um, Shankly Gates was a good spot as well. Oh, I yes. thought that was really oh, cool. Yeah. Like, particularly as they were pushing that narrative of Gibson as being the mentor. Like, he slaps it on, and then you know Drake doesn't just stop um, Bait from. I thought it was Bait or Seven, which way round it was, but doesn't just Bait, stop yeah. him. Yeah, doesn't just stop him from saving Seven. He actually slaps it in himself as well, and it reminded me of all those great, um, you know, DIY performances up against the Revival. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Mav, do you want to explain for our foreigners what Shankly Gates is? So, basically, Bill Shankly was the greatest football manager, probably the greatest football manager, um, until Alex Ferguson, maybe, like, that's ever, uh, that's ever worked in the game of football. And um, he was manager of Liverpool in the uh, 60s and 70s. And the gates outside Anfield, the Liverpool's football grounds, uh, are named after him. They are the Shankly Gates. And so... Um, Zach Gibson has basically all of his moves set is named after stuff from Liverpool. With if it's either Beatles songs or stuff to do with Liverpool football club. So, uh, so yeah. So his submission is called Shanky Gates for that reason. There you go. And as a Nottingham Forest fan, I have to say that, but Brian Clough is obviously in that conversation as well. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed. Of course, Le- legally, yeah. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> he was also kind of like you know uh, drunker and, uh, and and more and more fun than the others. So yeah, <laughs> therefore better. Oh. <laughs> and I think post the Alex Ferguson, Mike Bassett has to be up there. Mm. <laughs> right, I, I realised my next comment was going to take us straight into a full-on football conversation. <laughs> so I'm not going to take it any further. Right, so uh, with the flow of this match, it was pretty much that. Mustache Mountain would kind of get into the match, seem like they have control, and suddenly snatched away from them. Uh, more of the ending sequence really exemplified that, with Tyler Bate on Zach Gibson's shoulders on the outside. And then Drake did a suicide dive, and he did like a backwards 450 onto his... And it was like painful. Oh, he's... Yeah, he, he wasn't coming back from that, Tyler Bate. And then Trent Seven did that suicide dive belly flop thing. <laughs> so he was out of it. Uh, back into the ring. And I've noticed they've... I don't know if they've changed the name of the finisher as well. I thought it was a straight-up called Ticket to Ride. But I might not have been paying attention. They, they, they call it Ticket to Mayhem. Yes, they yeah. did, yeah. Which I, was, is that like Drake's finisher plus... Is that is Jake's finisher called something to do with Mayhem and then obviously Gibson's his ticket to ride? Is that right? Yeah, it's the Mr. Um, Mayhem DDT and then there's That's all... right. Because so it was like elevated and then it was into it's basically a code breaker, isn't it? Like yeah. ele- it's sort of elevated DDT into a code breaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Plus it's devastating. <laughs> it just works that so well. Oh. It was so well it was so well executed though. I thought that was kind of awesome. And the fact that McGuinness basically just called the move and assumed everyone would know what it was, I thought, added to the kind of awesomeness mm. of the spot, actually. Mm. Right, uh, so, with the end of that, that was a really, really fast opener. On Thursday, on the Perfect 10 Wrestling Show for my preview for the show, my assumption was this match would go first, and the result might give us a kind of an inkling to how the rest of the show would go, especially the main event, mm-hmm. or they would use this to kind of divert expectations. Because I think it's Dunn's going to be going to main roster at some point or NXT proper or show up in the Rumble nobody knows because no one knows what NXT UK really is yet <laughs> we don't know how it feeds or where it feeds we don't know what the next level is for NXT UK is, is it own brand and people aren't really going to flow about 
we'll talk about like that more specifically yeah. with a certain guy later, but we don't really know, and we thought this show might give us an inkling. But one half of British Throne Style won, sorry, and the other half didn't won. <laughs> so it's uh, it's an odd kind of dynamic where we still don't really know how NXT UK feeds back into WWE's other brands. I think it's quite clever because, you know, you've got the, you know, the kind of the four or five most established guys on, on the brand from how much they've been in it since the first tournament. You know, so you've obviously got Dunn, Bate, Seven, Andrews and uh, Wolfgang. And those is it's quite clever because what they've done is they've kept their prominence, but they've used them to elevate the newer members of the roster. So, you know, here you've had Gibson win the tournament last summer um, and now you've had him sort of deny the sort of popular babyface tag team the inaugural tag team championships and I think Mustache Mountain are as we've seen with Underspeed Era like better chasing anyway so I think it's actually a really good bit of booking that yeah I was going to feed off that point actually um, when the whole tag tournament started it was a case of Mustache Mountain just telling um the people on the roster to form teams to take them on. So even though uh, even though they had lost here, it sort of put them over in a way because they told they told wrestlers to, to go go ahead and do that and it was their own sort of suggestion that let their downfall. I think it's hard to argue that was the um the it's hard to argue against that being the right call because Mustache Mountain in a way were made men and um from being XT tag team champions. Um so using them to put them over is um to put over the Grizzle Young Vets was a fantastic move. Yeah, 100% agree. Plus it's that thing of, yeah, as we were talking about with that downfall, their bit downfall being maybe they were a bit too cocky, telling the other team, uh, other wrestlers to form teams and then one did and beat them. So it's, it's a nice narrative as well on top of the, the fact that it just makes sense to have them put them over. And really that was kind of the tale of the rest of this card as well, especially the next match. I feel like, I feel like Leafs made too good of a transition point. <laughs> really did not use it. Uh, so talking about folk putting new folk over, Devlin versus Banks. Oh no, wait, it's not Banks. It's Finn Balor and Jesus Christ, the pop. <laughs> the pop for Balor was massive. Um, Ricky from the Ricky and Clive show, uh, Clive's other half, he uh, tweet. He was at the show and he uh, recorded the pop for Balor, and it's mental. <laughs> it's so loud, and the people in the audience going like. Oh wait, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> and then his music plays, and they all go mental. So that was really cool to see, especially with the dynamic the two have. Uh, but so I'll go to Maverick first. What did you think of uh, Devlin and Bella? I guess especially the dynamic part of it. I mean, I thought the cleverest part of it was that the the crowd were chanting for Finn after he took out um, after he took out Travis, and then. Um... Yeah, he was walking around the ring going, who, who? And like really being cocky, like, what's that? Who's that? What are you talking about? And then, of course, like it went dark. And I thought that was a, that was a brilliant bit of heel work from Dadlin. He's he's completely won me over since the, the since the weekly show started. Like, I think you guys said last summer, like how much he had improved um, since the first tournament. And, you know, I, I, I totally have to bow down to you and say you were t- you were completely right. He's a. A fantastic cocky heel prick wrestler. Um, I thought his match against Dunn for the title was fantastic. And, you know, the only thing I'd say about this match is that I'd like it would have been nice to do it on an even bigger stage in some ways because 
you know, Devlin, I think, is going to be a big deal. Um, and it's almost like this might have just come a little bit early. But nevertheless, it was um, a great a great example of a, of a heel getting his comeuppance. It's a little bit like the whole, um, you know, the whole Kurt Angle, John Cena, ruthless aggression thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like Devlin puts in a hell of a shift. Um, but of course, you know, Balor knocks him off in the end. So, um, yeah, I love the visual of the two of them as well, because obviously they kind of, you know, have that have that whole um similarity in body type and um an appearance in general and a similar move set so it it's kind of like um yeah it's kind of like on old beat em up games when you used to be able to like play <laughs> as the same fighter but just change the uh, just change the sort of colorway of their clothes you used um, to be able to do that on i think it was like warzone for the playstation you play as kane <laughs> And then you'd play against Kane, but like the second Kane would be purple yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was just thinking. Yeah, it's like the whole Mortal Kombat thing, isn't it? You got Scorpion and Sub Zero, just like different colours. <laughs> one's icy and one's fiery. My brother does that. In this case, though. <laughs> yeah, my brother oh, does that. Yeah. On, my brother does that on FIFA, where I select a team. Let's say, let's say I play as a team in full white, and then he'll select another one and just look at me and go, "Challenge mode." <laughs> like no, <laughs> that's evil. Ah. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, the amount. My favorite thing from this match was the amount of people on Twitter thinking they that someone else had stolen their Spider-Man tweet because everybody did it within like a minute. It was insane. <laughs> that a screen capture. Oh, the meme. Yeah, yeah, the meme of Spider-Man it. looking at Spider-Man, but it was like everybody did it. It was mental. <laughs> Just if you go through the feed, Fenty UK, there's a point where like every other tweet. And they can't have copied each other because they all posted at the same time. <laughs> so it's it's insane that everybody thought of this exact same thing. Uh, and well, at least at least George and Devlin had big head mode turned on. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I've tried to explain. My uh, brother was in the room with me uh, when this bit came on, and then he, he was just like, "I've tried to explain to him that I was like, uh, yeah, he's uh, it's an interesting dynamic with the mentor teacher thing, but we we our chance for him are Lego head and things like, but Lego people have small heads." Don't ruin it for me, Ben. <laughs> it doesn't. <make> sense. <laughs> uh, it's more the fact that well, it's, it's head's it's quite the, square, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's <laughs> the shape of it yeah. that makes it look like a like a Lego head. But I thought this was actually probably my favourite um, match of the night. Honestly, I thought it. I thought it was tremendous, and I I I, I liked the the surprise addition of Bala. I I have to mildly disagree with Mab. I think it was the perfect time to pull a a stunt like this because it's you know it's the first. Takeover UK, so it's a point, a, a really important crossroads for the brand historically. Um, and you think back to like, I mean, I know it wasn't a takeover, but you think back to like the first NXT arrival, and it didn't really have anything like that. And people will say, oh well, you know, that was the night Cesaro wrestled Sami Zayn, but that's a match nobody really talks about anymore. But this felt like a big, you know, important kind of turn of events and a real coup for them to pull pull Balor in and to do it in a way that's relevant it would have been very easy to just pull in a random main roster wrestler um, and or someone from NXT US you know and, and pull a stunt like this but to do it in a way that was tremendous because it wasn't just you know the fact that they have that mentor um sort of student relationship that's been consciously referenced since Devlin's first appearance it was the fact that it, it was done in a way that um fed into a story where Devlin needed to be 
brought back down a notch because he was getting a bit too big for his boots, you know, and he'd, he'd done this, depl- this attacked Banks deplorably before the match. I mean, I was good. I didn't get to see Travis Banks wrestle again because I loved him in the UK, Tony, but, um, you know, beat him down in the match. Then, as Mav said, was just being intolerably cocky in the ring. So for Balor to be the one to come out and sort of basically slap him back down again and sort of say, learn your place. But I also love the fact that Devlin, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show, when we were talking about the tag team match, that everybody on this show took the opportunity to really make the most of this bigger stage. And I thought Devlin was front and center of that because just from, you know, from one perspective with the character, but just as a performer, he seemed absolutely and entirely unfazed by the fact that he was facing, you know, one of WWE's top single stars, essentially someone who's, you know, who's been featured on big WrestleMania matches, who's been universal champion, who's wrestled, you know, Roman Reigns was in line to wrestle Brock Lesnar at one point. That's a huge, huge deal. Uh, And Devlin, would, did not show any signs of being phased. I thought he performed brilliantly. Uh, his, it, I loved particularly the moment where he tripped Finn up and then did the Finn's own double stomp on him. But there was a moment he sort of paused very briefly before doing the double stomp that made it feel particularly kind of spiteful. And it was just the general spitefulness of the way that he performed last night that I thought was fantastic. Um, Balor was always going to win, but I thought you know, there's there's room on the table for them to revisit that at some point later down the line, maybe when there are more eyes on the products, maybe with Devlin getting the win back, because I think he, he deserves it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the, by the way, I, I totally agree with you, Plan, in terms of the exposure thing, you know, like, this was a, it was a great time to kind of pull a big stunt and stuff in that spot. Uh, I just meant, like, you know, in a way, that's such a special relationship between those two wrestlers that, um, you know, it, it, it's something I think they'll probably revisit at some point. And it's one that, they, you know, it's it's that Ambrose Rollins thing. It's one they can cycle in and out of, I would imagine, for years if they wanted to. Unplanned spitefulness note. Um, don't you just love it how with top rope moves, just to make everything spiteful, just need to take a pause? Like, you think back to Justin Gabriel's 450 during the next days, it was do a pause before doing it. Um, Billy Kidman doing that angle where he was injuring people, just do a pause. It's so simple, but it's so effective. And on uh, speaking of presentation... I'm sure you guys must agree here. It's so refreshing that Devlin has a catchphrase, the whole don't bet against the, the ace thing. I think besides Zach Gibson, he's probably one of the only guys that I can think of off the top of my head where you, you have that catchphrase associated with them. Mm. So with the uh, top rope thing, uh, one of the... It's not in Cafe, but one of the stories that kind of made me laugh and it kind of feeds into the just staring at them like, I'm going to fuck you up <laughs> kind of thing if on the top rope. But uh, it was the story by the former Neville, but now Pac. Uh, he was talking about him being on the circuit all the time with, uh, I want to say Bo Dallas. And he was saying that it became his mission to hit the Red Arrow so hard that Bo Dallas would shit himself. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Just, it was yeah. uh, I remember the white tights. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like, that was like I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to hit it so hard. And I'm going to... And, that kind of fed a bit into like when he would do it as a heel a bit later, he would do that evil look. <laughs> just like, I'm going to make you shit yourself. <laughs> then he does it. It just like, it really feeds into it. Just that evil stare before they do it. Uh, but yeah, as a face, it, it works as a face as well, to be fair. Like even like Daniel Bryan doing the yes before doing it. Finn Balor looking to the crowd as well. Like it, it really adds to the move, but like instead of like high octane, just jumping about flipping kind of stuff, which you will see with the OWE guys in AEW. You're in for a treat when <laughs> those guys kick it. That's a huge tangent. I'm not going to talk about Chinese wrestling <laughs> during this one. Uh, but yeah, 
amazing, uh, amazing surprise. Like my in my head, I was thinking, well, it's either going to be the Irishman or a big German. But we got Finn Balor. That was a much better dynamic because at least there's history that one. And it's yeah, it was a really, really good match as well. It really elevated Devlin, which I think, of course, is like the main point of all of this. Was Finn Balor really put Devlin over, even though Finn Balor won? Just as I think it was Plan or Math was saying earlier, to do with the Cena Kurt Angle thing. It's like it really is that 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 really elevated Cena. This has really elevated Devlin. He feels like because he really is going to be a big deal in the future of NXT UK, and this feels like it really elevated him. It's a nice tweet he sent out as well uh, this morning. And I'm not mm. the biggest fan of of, of wrestlers, um, you know, uh, running feuds via Twitter, but. Um, but he said, you know, I chased you around the world for 16 years. And, you know, don't think it's over, which I thought next time I'll get you, you know, which I thought was a um, a kind of nice way of, again, like a, a classic heel thing of being like, oh, you know, fit, you know, sort of waving fist in your general direction. I'll get you next time. <laughs> uh, I think... And your meddling dog, too. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think like a uh, really good dynamic of this match as well was uh, like to start with uh, kind of switching to the crowd chant translations they the only like, really the only one i caught was you just a shit finn Balor," and that was kind of the story of this match was um, the crowd starting to chant that and by the end of it they weren't like definitely had really distinguished himself from Balor, which i think he'd done anyway to be fair Ah uh, well, the thing is, there you're mistaken. They were actually chanting that with a comma before Finn Balor at Finn Balor. Oh, you're just a shit. <laughs> you're just a shit, Finn Balor. <laughs> I like to think our crowds are more polite than that. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's interesting. I go back and forth on Balor so much because obviously, like tremendously talented. Um, technically, he's had matches I really liked, like most notably before he came to the main roster. And it's like, I, I know I, I go on about it so much on the pond, but I really, really wish WWE would just actually like work out what they want to do with him. Mm. Well, what like him being on Raw probably really hurts his perception because there's like no. I was watching um, Wrestle Talk talking about the whole year, and they went through all of the stories and tried to keep track of them through the whole year, and that's when it jumped out at them that WWE just can't tell consistent stories, even at their best ones. Things just change about all the time random stuff is dropped or just characteristics change from week to week and Finn Balor's kind of really been hurt by that there's been no consistency with him or like a sense of him exactly exactly so since uh, since since the first Rollins match you get you know at um at SummerSlam they've basically had like zero zero clue about what they want to do with him and so he just becomes you know a man in pants with cool moveset and he smiles. He has a jacket. Yeah, yeah, but exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, like cool. you know, small, small wrestler in leather jacket. It's just kind of there's. He's got so much more in him than that, I think. And really, like one of the main things that's kept him over with the with some of the fans on Twitter is the fact that when he does the spot in his entrance when he's on the ropes and he sticks his dick out, <laughs> it's just that the, the crowd are just like um, they use that as the test of the two K nineteen game whether it's realistic or not. It's like no. <laughs> <laughs> Banner's dick is not in the game, therefore it's not realistic. <laughs> You've gone perfectly into my next point, actually, because I was going to <laughs> It's a classic yeah. case so, yeah. of Marissa um, where they're being books better in a video game. Like, I don't know if you have my career for this year. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't played it, but Finn Balor's being booked exactly how he, in that game, exactly how he should be on the main roster, but isn't. Mm. Oh, right. uh, 
that's all I can go with, really. Well, the, the irony there is Mav and I often talk on the pond about how WWE has become a video game. Hmm. Like promos sound like particularly the promo, promo, yeah. Five <laughs> video games, the stories it sort of unfold like they've been written in a video game, you know. I mean, it's like often, hmm. oftentimes you talk about character traits change, and it's like someone's gone into a menu and switched someone from babyface to heel week to week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, I tracked with oh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was at KMA Jackson. Um, we tracked all of the heel tape changes after SummerSlam. Just after SummerSlam, and I think we were getting close to like 16 or 17. <laughs> like, ridiculous. And that was just the big show. <laughs> oh, and Dolph yeah. Ziggler as well, like, you know, he's, mm. he's been up there. I saw a great thread where somebody actually tracked every big show turn <laughs> since, <laughs> since 2000. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I think it was 33. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'm squared circle, I think it was. Mm. <laughs> I think, um, uh, there's a yeah uh, OSW review. I think they've done a video of all of the big show heel turns, like one after the other. It's just like it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but yeah, just, that, that kind of fits that point of Finn Balor. I feel like his stock has been hurt because he doesn't have anything going on. He's just about, and he's not really felt important. And now the rumbles about the needed Iron Man again suddenly is important. I mean, he's like he's Mister. Yeah. He's Mister Multi Man as well, right? If you've yeah. got a four-way t- uh, like title match or five-way title match, then you know he's your number four or five guy in that match. You know you can rely on him to do some cool spots. Like you can rely on him to be in a ladder match. You know it's the, like that's the, the thing. thing. The frustrating thing is that he's a proven quantity, at least in terms of when he's in those Multi Man main events. Often, like I think about. Um, some of the five-man Survivor Series matches he's been a part of. I think about the Elimination Chamber he was in last year. Um, obviously, I'm doing a, a series on non-winning Rumble performances on Lord's Payment uh, front page at the minute, and um, he will be an entry in that. So I watched his Rumble performance about last year. And he, whenever I see him in those situations, he always has a has a performance that absolutely convinces me that he could mm. be, you know, he, that he can have command of the ring and he can have command of the stage and he's got the presence to be in that in that top position. But then he, you know, he just gets trapped in sort of listing from one TV feud to another TV yeah. feud to another TV feud till the next multi-man main event props up. And I think that's where he's fallen down because that isn't even even you know even if your character is developed inconsistently. If it's at least being developed, then people can maybe latch onto a reason to care about you. And the the problem is that Balor's hasn't developed. If anything, it's regressed because they've, you know, I mean, you could debate how, how bad or good a thing it is, but, you know, ultimately he came up, the idea was there was two sides to him and they've all but dropped that. And when you think they've finally, you know, they've done away with it altogether, they bring him out as the demon randomly to squash Baron Corbin at SummerSlam, which worked on the night, but then they don't follow it up with anything. So it is absolutely, it's Bray Wyatt again, which is they don't know their own character. Mm. And to kind of bring it back a bit, Devlin has really benefited from seemingly having some form of character arc or character development at least. Uh, get he's re- I feel like he's going to be a main event guy by the end of the year easily, but it's just that they're building him really well, and the reason yeah. he took out Banks it just made so much sense. Like he attacked Banks, then before Devin could get to the ring, Banks attacked him, and then kind of in a self defense he injured Banks. Mm. As like, it it makes sense, it's not random, it's not mm. it's not he didn't go out to the ring to injure Banks before the match. Banks instigated it, and I thought oh that was just such a nice development. <laughs> it's quite cool. I think it's quite cool on Banks' character as well because he's mm. he's shown himself as being 
um, you know, a guy that thrives in adversity. So, you know, he has this uh, injury caused by Gallus and he goes after Gallus. He's got this injury caused by Devlin. Now he's going to, you know, I imagine there's going to be payback for this. He's going to be coming after Devlin. So um, even though I'm sure, you know, Banks was gutted not to get a chance to wrestle last night, um, in the long term, for the story's sake, uh, I think it's going to work well. Yeah, I was going to make the same point there, Mav, but the only issue that I have is I have concerns about, I'm hoping it's storyline injury. Everything suggested it is, but he's only just came back from, you know, quite a sideline injury. So I'm, I'm quite lucky in the sense that I get to find out today whether that's the case or not, because uh, for those unaware, I'm going to the actual tapings after later, later on after the show, but I'm hoping it's literally, as you say, just a storyline injury. Yeah, right, so speaking of storyline... Actually, no, I keep forgetting to do <laughs> <Smooth>. this. <laughs> I keep forgetting to do an ad break, so I'm going to do an ad break now with like no smoothness to it at all whatsoever. <laughs> so I'm going to have a quick five-second break, and then when we come back, enjoy your advert about a woman wanting to take her dad's car or whatever you get in America. <laughs> enjoy your adverts. Uh, we'll be back in about five seconds. <laughs> we'll talk about the rest of the show. And welcome back to Britshock. So we've got three more matches and then we've got a surprise ending to kind of talk about as well. So I transitioned with talking of storylines. <laughs> it's nice and broad. <laughs> so uh, Eddie Dennis versus Mastiff. I've just written Mastiff because he's oh, the bomber, isn't it? They call him the bomber here in NXT UK. For me, it's incredible the comparison between his character here and what World of Sport were doing with him. Like World of Sport, it was your big guy. You walk out and you get those Big booze, <laughs> which your Jack E stacks. Yeah, and that was it. That was that was his like. I'm big guy. I will. But and if you've heard you've heard Mastiff talk, he doesn't scream like scary villain in a way. It's like I'm I'm from up north. <laughs> it's just it's just, not... a, it's just a friendly brummy, isn't yeah. he? Like, um, but I, I think what's what's been really cool about Mastiff actually is that um, the big cuddly brummy. Yeah, but it's kind of like they they've gone with that thing where all right, he's a genial guy, but don't provoke him. And of course, you know, Dennis's whole shtick is, you know, the the mind games and the slightly sort of twisted, obsessive personality. And so I love the fact that, um, you know, he he sort of just he nursed this sort of bitter um, streak after losing his undefeated uh, records to uh, to Mastiff and then obsessively went after him. Um, and I just thought this was, it, you know, if you're going to have a hardcore match. I think this is the way to do it because it was still very much a match that told um, a very believable story. It just wasn't, it wasn't just people hitting each other with stuff. You know, they used the props, but it wasn't about the props. And um, they also very cleverly recycled some of the stuff they did in their first match uh, on the on the weekly show a few weeks back. A match that you know I really really enjoyed. So. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of this one, I have to say. So I haven't um, I haven't had a chance really to keep up with the weekly uh, UK TV show. I think maybe I, first, I saw maybe the first, maybe the first two episodes, but beyond that, I haven't really had the time to sit and watch them. Uh, and so I'd sort of seen the kind of the, the, the vignettes introducing Eddie Dennis, but I'd never seen him wrestle or anything like that ahead of uh, yesterday. Uh, and when I saw that they were running with this kind of monster-monster thing, uh, I was a little dubious because Eddie Dennis 
doesn't exactly have a body type that screams you know powerhouse he's kind of tall and and gangly uh, and his ring gear he came out you know it looked like it had been uh, poorly designed in a creator wrestler thing platform on a on a 2k game so i was kind of sat there going yeah i'm not sure you know like i liked the character stuff i first saw from him but i wasn't uh, sure when he came out to wrestle mastiff who i'd seen in in world of sports and knew what he could do um and seen indeed in the uh second uk tony from this year uh, and then they wrestled and whether it was because my expectations were lower or, or not i don't know but they they really blew me away i thought their match was phenomenal uh the feats of strength that we saw from eddie dennis were really quite impressive Insane. um the, the fact that his his legs seemed to be legitimately wobbling only added to how sort of uh, impactful those moments were. Uh, and what was brilliant about the story that they told, as as Maverick said, you know, they did they did show an obligation to the genre they were wrestling in the sense that it wasn't long before they got the kendo stick out and there were the chairs and the steps and the table and everything, all the usual all the usual shtick. But the story really, I felt, was about the escalating athleticism from them both and seeing which one of them could defy athletic convention more because mm. as Eddie Dennis kept nailing these big strongman moves that certainly I never expected to see from him in return Dave Mastiff was doing you know insane things for a man of his size to be doing you know doing moves off the ropes and everything and usually I'm not a big fan of that. Like, I don't like this culture that's developed because I'm kind of old school. I like to see super heavyweights emphasize the fact that their advantage is strength. And I like to see cruiserweights emphasize the fact that their advantage is speed. I don't necessarily like to see cruiserweights throw super heavyweights around like strongmen or, or super heavyweights dive around like their cruisers. But in this in this instance, I really didn't mind because it just, like I said, that felt like the actual, the real story that they were telling and that all of the, you know, the spot through the table and the stuff with the chair and everything else was just window dressing around the real core of the story, which was about look at how crazy these two athletes are, even if at first glance they don't necessarily look like they're capable of doing things Yeah, we, are, we did Was lose it? plan a little bit there, so I don't know if... Oh, sorry. <laughs> the, the chip shop is open for business. Um, about the wobbling legs, um, I think the fact that Eddie kept attempting these athletic um, phenomenal moves, I think that plays so well into his character. We talked about the desperation of him. He could have quite easily just gone to the well with weapons and um, kept hitting, but he seemed almost obsessed with being able to um, lift massive around like that. If he'd just gone, if he'd just done just the one move, so for example, like uh, there's an amazing power bomb that he did hit, fair enough, but he kept going back to that as if he had something to prove. That's, um, yeah, it's the arrogance, isn't it? Very much so. And I think even though um, Dennis took the loss in this match, his character he's one of those characters which isn't going to be affected by this. Granted, you need to have him uh, take, you need to have him pick up a big win every now and then to keep it believable but he's not going to be as hurt by losses because you know that his views are driven by his own determination and his own twisted mindset on that like there's ready-made feuds lined up for him with pete dunn and mark andrews going forward so again i think this is another right call in terms of the result mm. like, i feel like it also it elevated to the point where mastiff was starting to incorporate his athleticism more and more whilst Eddie dennis was trying to hit bigger and bigger moves 
Yeah. The fact that he hit John, he he went to go for John Morrison's finisher. Oh yeah, so he went for the like, uh, um, John yeah. Morrison's finisher. He, he went for a Starship pay. <laughs> like that's like one of the most crazy things I've ever seen. So yeah, the fact he went for the oh, I'll be a bit nerdy and call it the Arabian, but it's when you bounce off of your legs. <laughs> but the fact he went for the Arabian like moonsault thing is just like what you can do that. <laughs> but it it, it echoes like. What, when Kevin Owens does his thing where he's on the second rope and then he'll pop up and do a moonsault, he pulls that out when there's a need for it or like he can't finish off his opponent and he's becoming desperate so he starts to get more and more athletic with his attempts. Yeah, there was a great mm. sense of escalation about it, you know, like um, because he, you know, that last ride spot out the corner or the seven bridge as, as Eddie Dennis uh, calls it, like it's... Razor's Edge. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a Razor's Edge, wasn't it? Sorry, yeah. Um it was like in the, in the previous match they had, he kind of hit like a last ride looking thing. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of like, that's his, 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 you know, his finishing move. So he was going to go for it. But then he also hit this sort of, um, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it. Actually, it was kind of like a sort of spinning side slam thing. It was uh, deep six. That was, oh. yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So that was, that was also like, okay, I, I couldn't finish off with this one, crazy power move i'm gonna to have to try another one then it was they, but there was this constant sense of like they had to keep escalating the violence you know even at the beginning like okay kendo stick but no hang on i'm gonna also remove the uh the padding from the floor and you know we're gonna get the steps in there and you know i'm gonna go and throw the ring announcer off his chair and bring that in the ring um and it it had a little bit of um the kevin owens dean ambrose match from uh, the rumble a few years ago in the sense that there was just this this constant sense of needing the violence to escalate as the kind of desperation to, you know, beat the person you hate got bigger. Yeah, I was thinking, it just came across my mind, but essentially, was Eddie Dennis the one every time introducing the weapons? I don't know. No, I, I, think, think, I think Mastiff, Mastiff got introduced steps. the steps. Oh, Mastiff yeah. got steps. Oh, okay. So, uh, actually, well, well, then that means that... Um, the Chekhov's gun rule, I guess. <laughs> Where, by the yeah. by the way, I, I love the. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just have to say it before I forget. I love the fact that that Mastiff's uh, ring gear reminds me so much of Vader. Oh yeah. Oh, it's deliberate, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we heard the crowd. I think they kind of did that when the Mastiff got up to like the top rope to do something before Eddie Dennis caught him in the razor's edge. But everyone was like thinking Vader. <laughs> We're doing Vader bombs, yeah. weren't we? When he got up there. Yeah. But yeah, so if so that if he got if uh, Mastiff did get up the steps, that means that. Everyone, every weapon that was introduced was then used against them. So, like the floor with Eddie Dennis, the table with Eddie Dennis, the steps with Mastiff. I guess the kendo stick they traded. That always happens, though. But is that, is that rule of uh, in wrestling? If you're the one to set up that ladder on the outside, you're the one going through it. <laughs> it's like he set up I your own you, downfall. <laughs> I tell you, the other thing I really liked about it is that it was only like eleven minutes long, mm. and I, I think sometimes with these hardcore matches, they go on forever. And it's not particularly believable because high impact matches should actually not last as long, theoretically, right? If you think about it in, in, in the kayfabe. And so the fact that they just literally went to war for 11 intense minutes and then it was over, I thought that is a lesson for, you know, every other agent booking a match like that. Like, that's exactly how it should go for me. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, especially if you did look at, uh, imagine if uh, Coffee versus Dunn in the main event was a no disqualification and he got out all of these things. Is that, yeah, it might have escalated it a bit 
too much where they are going after each other and doing stuff like that. But with this match in the middle, it was short and sweet and it made sense that they're doing all these high-impact moves and it took it out of them, therefore the match won't be as long. It was just really well booked. <laughs> and uh, I really liked it. I liked the ending as well, with a Mastiff eventually getting the better of Dennis and then hitting the cannonball into the table. And that's the end of him. <laughs> it was uh, on, on the chance in that match as well. When they got the table out, they started doing the <laughs> table, table, table. <laughs> yeah, nothing so right, self righteous as we want tables. <laughs> like no, we we just like table. <laughs> we'll sing the glory of table. Ah, <laughs> and for those of you who aren't aware or you know didn't grow up in the early nineties, it's basically the the tune of that is is to uh, a two unlimited. Uh, dance hits <laughs> from uh, sort of 91, 92 called uh, No Limits, um, uh, which was famously parodied in many a playgrounds that myself and Mazza would have been in with uh, No No Lyrics, because <laughs> literally the only lyric in it is No Limit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yes, it's that's that's what that tune is. So, um, Americans, go, go YouTube that and get a sense of some early 90s uh, Euro pop. And then pull about it to help the the artist name and the song name are pretty much the same thing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the in, the <laughs> oh yeah, the inventive of, of that. Oh. Well, the, the answer to a I was at a pub quiz the other day, and the answer was like last ketchup. Which one of these was number one? <laughs> I was just like, oh, last ketchup. The oh, don't fucking chicken. remind me about that. <laughs> that oh, was the God. bane of my existence for the better part of a year when that song was rattling around. Oh. <laughs> the fact you would have been what eight or nine <laughs> that was about oh. you could understand why I turned out the way I did yeah. it's all last ketchup's fault I mean, basically imagine... you are you are LOP's Eddie's Ennis club <laughs> <laughs> imagine like an eight or nine eight or nine year old plan just sitting in the playground going this is the bane of my existence <laughs> <laughs> well um one thing a bit far de- off to be fair yeah, it feels accurate yeah yeah. Well, speaking of destinations, be it like pizza or Kentucky Fried Chicken, I think Dave Mastiff's de- next destination really um, has to be that it, this is setting up for a future world title match. And I never could imagine Mastiff versus Dunn. I don't know why that didn't really... Um, it's not something that I could imagine being set up. I don't know whether it's the face versus face dynamic. But I think now, with the way the show ended, I, w- I won't be surprised if they keep Mastiff undefeated until he takes on... Someone who I think will be the the next to the UK champion. Um, I don't know whether I should say his name yet or wait till we actually reach that point in the show. But you see where I'm getting at. There's yeah, a yeah. big boss fight to be to be had here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Just just, just for the record, last catch up was around 2002, so I'd have actually been about 13 or 14. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> don't know why that's important. Just felt the need to get it out there. I keep forgetting I'm the baby. Oh, oh Leafy's a baby as well. Uh, 1991. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, so I'm the baby of this group then. Yeah. Yeah, Mid-92 I am. <laughs> so I don't know why I said that like a country person. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 92 I am. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to the women's title match. Uh, the NXT UK, uh, NXT UK Women's Championship. I get confused because it's the WWE UK Championship for the men, but it's NXT UK for the women. It messes with my mind for some reason. Uh, the champion, Ray Ripley versus Tony Storm. The two Australians facing off in the first ever UK Championship match. As I said before, these are people who've been prevalent on the UK scene, not UK wrestlers. <laughs> so you get guys from all over the place. You I get... thought it was cool the other week, actually, that Tony Storm came out in Liverpool and said, I've lived here for five years. Like, I didn't know that. 
I thought that was kind of awesome that um, you know she she must have basically you know rocked up off the boat from Brisbane and like when she was like fifteen and been like right gonna be a wrestler. Mm. Brexit, Brexit, Brexit. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's let's not depress everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, with uh, Storm and Ripley, uh, this match it was interesting because this was the only match really where it was entirely focused on championship and previous championship matches and Ripley doing the whole uh, I like the press conference they did so Plan wouldn't have seen this mm. uh, where they did the press conference on the stage and they had the people kind of in the audience talking to them like the press, press people off camera it was an interesting they're trying shit out on NXT UK and I like them for that like it's just that this stuff they've done with the interviews and the building up story stuff It like they've tried out different shooting techniques and different ways of doing it I really like what they've got now where they're essentially in front of an advertising board but of course it's just NXT UK signs, <laughs> but the logo, sorry. But it's it's the idea. I like that. It makes it feel more sport-like, which like the WWE main brand itself desperately needs. But, oh, I don't know. That's another topic. I won't transition to that. But, yeah, so they're trying shit out. And with this Storm Ripley feud, they have essentially done that really, really well. Uh, so, yeah, so this, it built up this match uh, really well, that bit, with the stuff on the stage. Uh, and the dynamic essentially... I guess is Storm trying to prove herself after what happened in the last match, where essentially mm. in the story she got her ass handed to her, basically, yeah. didn't she? And especially when she got that knee injury and Ripley zoned in on yeah. the knee, it was like the that was the end of the match right there and then. Uh, that, and they built off that really well in the story building to this match. Uh, I might have zoned out. I don't remember them really using that kind of knee damage from the last match in this one. I don't know if the story was. It's been long no. enough. It's really healed. It's not really an issue anymore. I, I think. I think what they went for in this was though. You know, Rhea Ripley is the, you know, the big bully. She is the Shayna Baszler of the brands. And uh, by the way, just as a side note, give me Ripley v Baszler, please. Any like sometime soon, I will pay all the money to watch that match. Um, but um, I, I thought that the, the match was fantastic because you could kind of see that that for Tony Storm to kind of deal with the the sort of the greater physical power of, of, of Rhea Ripley was was at all times like such an effort. And I thought in the first Mae Young Classic, I really liked Tony Storm. I thought she was the one that had the most personality, but she was a bit kind of bright and breezy. And she's really got into this thing now where, she, where her selling has got really good. Like she was actually in tears at different parts mm. of this match. Um, and I thought it made her eventual victory like much more emotional because, you know, she'd come through this incredibly um, pivotal period in her career where she's won the May Young Classic, but then she has lost in the final of the first uh, NXT UK Women's Championship. And then she's battled back from the injury. She's used, she's cashed in her shot. I didn't realise that was a thing, by the way, until they mentioned it on TV that if you win May Young Classic, you get a title shot. I didn't know that. Um, but she's used her shot to uh, to go after Rhea Ripley, and she wasn't afraid. She didn't back down, and um, you know, and it was it was just a, a really competitive, as you said, Leaf. It was it was not Leaf. It was uh, it was UM, wasn't it? It was it was very sporty in 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 the sense that it was a kind of match that I imagine Doc would really like. It was very much just about athletic competition and who wins yeah. the title. And I think a card needs that variety. Um, because this match was very much in that kind of sports entertainment zone, whereas the others were all much more story-based. So it, it worked well in the position of the card that it was in. Um, and I was riveted to it. I thought it was one of the, the best women's matches I've seen um, for a while. I thought it was great. 
Well, I do actually have some thoughts on this one, Mav. So basically, um, what it is is, um, I feel that they've they've had a formula and they've realised it's not broken and they've gone with it again. Um, I'm referring to Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate. What happened with with them was Ty- yes. Pete mm-hmm. Dunne was the, the, the favourite of that tournament, um, but they they use that that um, they use that opportunity to make a star out of Tyler Bate, and then not too long after, that's when they put the belt on Pete Dunne. They've done a very similar thing here with the the women, with uh, Tony Storm being a clear favourite of that tournament. They went with Ripley, and then um, you gave her a little bit of time in the sauna, and now they've put it onto Storm. But it, it's, in the same sense, it was fresh because the alignments were so were, were, were the opposite in, in this story. So I like the fact that they've actually re- they've seen what's happened um, previously and thought, you know what? we can use this again. It just shows that there's some smart booking behind it all. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I can't, to be honest, because I haven't had a chance to go back and watch it, I can't remember much of it. Um, but I do remember really enjoying it. I do remember really liking the setup of it. Um, you guys say it was knee damage. The video hype package seemed to demonstrate it was her back more than her knee that, that got injured the first time around. Ah, so they changed the narrative, that's why. Oh, okay, yeah. Or I wasn't paying um, attention. But there was, but there was a moment in the match where Rhea kicked her back into the into the um, go on the ringside barrier, and uh, you know they they didn't play on it much though. I don't seem to remember. I do feel like I did feel last night like it suddenly it seemed to end quite suddenly, but I don't know whether that's because I had one eye on on typing up what I was thinking rather than you know being able to pay complete one hundred and ten percent attention to the match itself. But um, generally speaking, yeah, I. I really liked it. I won't quite go so far as I don't think I liked it quite as much as, as Mav seemed to, but I did really enjoy it, absolutely. And I think Mav's bang on, you know, when you get that kind of tonal variety on a card, it does nothing but but help the card out. Uh, and takeover Blackpool generally I mean it was you know, it followed the takeover formula, which you again, you know, I say this about every takeover, you can't blame them. It's like Marvel movies, they make money for a reason, so why fix what isn't broken? But um it it what it did was was take the takeover formula and then put a load of different types of match out there, which benefited really well. And this was a a key part of that. Yeah, well, NXT takeovers themselves have tried to do that more recently. I guess if you look at um, New Orleans, especially, like you got the ladder match at the start, you got the tag match. Horrible. <laughs> uh, I will sing the praises of that ladder match. <laughs> so there's the ladder match, and there's the tag team match afterwards. You've got the title match with Alistair Black, and then you've got the blood feud. Like every match was different. <laughs> Point being, <laughs> every match was different. <laughs> so it gave the card like a really nice flow. So if you look at NXT UK, it was kind of the same thing. Like no match was the same, and that really, really helped. Plus, when you got when you got to this match, you again hit with that feeling of oh god, we're like an hour and a half in, and this is the penultimate match already. That's awesome. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, that's worth making a point of actually. That the show flew by. I felt it didn't feel mm. like I was sat there for two and a half hours last night. Although to be fair, a part of that might be because it was at a reasonable hour. Yes, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in, you are right, though, Pan. Like when you get to the that to, to the point. Like I think I. You know, because I I watched the first half of it last night and I finished it off this morning and I I thought that um you know I got to like 40, 47 minutes of the show left and it's only the main event to go like okay either there are shenanigans here or they're going to wrestle one hell of a long match and it turned out to be both of those things <laughs> yes <laughs> but yeah with uh, Storm and Ripley it was a really big moment for Tony Storm 
uh, with the huge support for Tony Storm, as well with stuff in kayfabe and out of kayfabe, generating huge amount of support. Uh, the pop for her win was awesome. It was really the crowd; they were amazing for the entire show, just popping for everything and uh, the booing the heels and cheering the faces. <laughs> it's something as simple as that. <laughs> just enjoying the show as well uh, with their singing and the chanting. I didn't catch any chants in this one. I don't, just for just for Tony Storm. I think there were some for Ripley as well, like a little bit of a. a a tie between who was the most favourite, but yeah, Storm won out the, in the end. The the I saw a, a like a clip of a, an interview. It might be on YouTube or something like yesterday daytime before the show, with Pete Dunne and, and Rhea Ripley stood next to each other, and it's <laughs> the physical likeness between those two is absolutely. It doesn't help that they've both got very similar hairstyles as well, and they're uh, in the same weight class. Yeah, I mean it's just bizarre. <laughs> it's like they're twins. Joe and me were talking plan. Um... Well, actually, sorry to interrupt, but I oh. will say one thing. One thing I observed last night, actually, and I, uh, you know, granted I haven't watched the weekly TV, so I don't know if this has been the case from the beginning, but it felt very much like, joking aside, Rhea was channeling a lot of what Pete Dunne does with just her posture and her facial expressions and that sort of exuding that kind of um, stage presence, and it felt like it almost watched like she'd been watching what. Pete Dunn's done so well, made success of, and decided, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try and replicate that. Do you remember those famous? Uh, you'll you'll remember this plan, like those famous um, interviews that Ivory did when she was in Right to Censor, where they played like China tearfully saying she'd have to retire because of her neck, and then like Ivory kind of like sort of you know, well, first of all made a parody video of it, but then also did this sort of like boo-hoo promo, and Rhea Ripley's been doing these kind of. Um, promos where like Tony Storm has been like oh I've, I've struggled through this that and the other and Rhea was like no sympathy Right sense of Ivory was awesome She really was so- yeah <laughs> well, uh, Rhea Ripley's been like that on Twitter just ruthlessly going after Tony Storm and having none of the support <laughs> which is like just shooting her down at every opportunity it's, like, it's quite vicious, it's not jokey like Lynch so oh a s- sidebar We'll say it's been amazing seeing Lynch and Asker on Twitter because Asker just seems to be the one person that's immune to Becky Lynch's tweets. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Asker just—I don't know if it's a foreign barrier, but it, it just doesn't work on Asker. <laughs> She's just. <laughs> well, Becky Lynch going because of that stupid tweet, Asker. I'm going to hurt you 25% more. And then Asker's like, "Well, I'll hurt you 175% more." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, that sounds like a, a Mazarin plan uh, argument that I've been in, involved in oh, moderating yeah. in the past. <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, with this match, it was a awesome kind of way for Storm to fight back. Well, they both kind of fought back from the other one having momentum. A Storm uh, managing to hit her finisher like, what, three times, was it? Or I don't know if I'm being a bit... It was twice. It was like, what Plan mentioned, like, the finish seemed a bit sudden, but I think the story of the match was that you know they both kicked out of each other's finisher but it was a little bit a little bit like kurt angle rock used to wrestle matches like this mm. the person to hit the finisher the second time is the person that wins mm. yeah because it, it did change into them not being able to hit it for a little bit and then just wearing yes. down the other one enough to actually nail them with the finisher i can't remember what tony so it rip no that's ripley's one with the rip tie yes it's storm zero storm zero that's the bugger i caught i called it the tiger bomb i was like oh, i can't call it that you nerdy bastard call it the actual name <laughs> <laughs> But yes, a really, really big moment for Tony Storm's kind of character and career. Just getting, getting the pop like that, just cementing how over she is. That really, really helps. A huge moment for her career. Uh, I don't know what's next, but that's kind of the yeah. power of NXT. 
Imp- I would suggest if you, if you uh, you know if you're not sure what to call a move, just revert to the Vince McMahon formula and shout "What a maneuver!" instead. <laughs> what a maneuver! Oh, it always works. The, oh, there it is. There. Oh, look at that. <laughs> what a maneuver! Or, or, or my my personal favourite. Forget about it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He's hit a clothesline, Vince. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like it's like, right, it's like honestly, there was so much so much footage from the early nineties. Somebody hits the right hand. Forget about it. <laughs> Uh, Adam Bob is going to win the Royal Rumble. Remains the best one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they... It's like completely deadpan as well. Like it's absolutely. It's like, but the thing is, you assume Vince knew the result of the match. Exactly. He sounds so convinced. Total conviction. <laughs> like, I was watching the. Um, it's because somebody reviewed it, not because of my own free will of me being mental. But it was the uh, Yokozuna Slam Challenge on the boat, and uh, or the ship boats making it sound a bit small. But um, the USS Indiana. Oh, bad man, the new gen in front of me, imp. <laughs> but it's the, um, the thing that made me laugh was they brought out Adam Bomb and it was meant to be like a really serious thing like, oh shit it is Adam Bomb and at that point they were really pushing his feud with Macho Man which was a thing don't forget yeah. <laughs> but, I mean as, as, interestingly like I mean I'm so old that I remember Adam Bomb's debut right so <laughs> uh, they were they it was like they went for a period uh, around sort of 92-ish of debuting these kind of heels but you couldn't really take them seriously, even though they really kind of like, they really kind of pushed the pushed this agenda of how crazy and scary they were. So you, in, within a couple of months of each other, as I recall, you had Adam Bomb, who was meant to have been in the Three Mile Island nuclear disaster. So they kind of ran a kind of weird nuclear man gimmick with him, hence Adam Bomb, of course. But then they also had Nails, who was meant to be a prisoner <laughs> that the big boss man had put away. And he had escaped from prison just to have a feud with the big boss man. Did anyone ever think that that's probably the worst place to have a slam challenge? Like, isn't that just like Titanic waiting to happen <laughs> on a boat? <laughs> yeah. you know. what, wasn't the boat famous? Yokozuna, right ahead. <laughs> it was basically a, it was meant to be a, a, a sort of it was meant to basically be a kind of very unsubtle way of referencing Pearl Harbor because Yokozuna was meant yeah. to be Japanese, and so you have like it was on. I, I think it was, it was on, on the USS. Yeah, and it was on the USS Indianapolis, and the so it, which was the successor ship of a famous aircraft carrier from during World War Two. So there was a whole load of symbolism surrounding it. If, if I'm That's right, they used it to introduce Lex Luger as Mr. Stars and Stripes. Ah, with bus and everything. Ah, oh, the... <laughs> the Lex Express. Ah, so, so I'm from someone who didn't watch until much later, so it's quite a, it's a, it's a fun, it's an interesting thing to look back on to see what they did it and the stories behind. Eugene is fantastic. The Lex Express is the forerunner of the Yes movement. <laughs> ah. right, anyway, <laughs> I've realised I, I Sorry. never bring up <laughs> this era because we've gone for ages. It's a British show when we talk about Lex Luger on the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Right, so we've got one match left and we can do it. We can stay on topic. <laughs> so, champion Pete Dunne versus Scottish bastard Joe Coffey. Uh, that because when they didn't have a name for the group, I was just calling them the Scottish Bastards. But now they're called Gallus, so I can call them Gallus the Scottish Bastards. <laughs> well, Could someone please tell me what Gallus means? No, I don't know. Well, I've only got, I've only got the, I've only got the Nigel McGuinness explanation, which which may be uh, a bit bizarre, but basically it's it's an old Gaelic word which which kind of implies like uh, arrogant power type of thing. I think you know, like daring and powerful. Hmm. Lannisterish. I thought it translated roughly to really good theme music. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I have to say they stole they stole the show in this first like I guess you could call it a season, really, couldn't you? Because it mm. kind of culminated in this takeover, like the first season of the show. I think Gallus completely stole it pretty much from day one. You know, they were because they were pissed off about not being invited to the UK tournaments. They showed up and like beat people up there. You know, they kind of within the first couple of episodes, you know, Wolfgang has turned and joined the Coffees and they form this faction. And they just kind of walk around looking for a fight and looking mean. And it's fantastic. I just absolutely love the hell out of it. And Joe Coffey in the last few weeks has grown to be one of my very favourite wrestlers. So um, so glad yeah. to see him get this feature length um, opportunity to show what he could do here and nail it. And I have to say, again, you know, I know I keep mentioning this, having not watched anything beyond the first, maybe even just the first UK uh, NXT UK TV show, obviously I've seen pretty much nothing of of Gallus. I'd seen them sort of do their thing at uh, the second UK Tony in the summer and seen Joe Coffey and stuff. Um, but even though you only really saw Joe Coffey wrestle, uh, and even though Wolfgang and I, I don't know his brother's name. What's his brother's Joe, name? Mark, Joe. Yeah. Mark and Joe. Joe and yeah. Mark yeah. and Mark. Mark's the one I mean. And even though you only see Mark for a few <laughs> for a few really moments on the on the entrance stage, um, you know, between Joe's demeanor in his entrance and in the match, between the theme music, between the the brief uh, moments I saw Wolfgang and Mark, I was like, I know exactly who these characters are i know exactly who you know what they're about exactly what their attitude is um and that to me that's that's pro wrestling at its best is when you can just have even if it's just a few seconds of cameo but you you if someone's not seen you before within those few seconds you know immediately everything you feel like you know immediately everything about who they are and about their identity like that's that's always fantastic to experience and of course you've got a you've got a match which i'm half and half on the match but we'll get to that in a minute but yeah i thought not having seen anything of them, you know. I mean, people obviously, Mav and I are both huge Shield guys, and um, people have, in the past have, have touted Mustache Mountain and the Shield, and I've never really been that interested in that. But even having just seen a very little bit of Gallus, I'm like, that's a match I'd love to see Gallus and Gallus and the Shield one day. But yeah, yeah. It, uh, fantastic uh, group, and I feel qualified to say that, even though I've only seen them as a group for probably cumulatively about ten minutes in total. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that you know Joe Coffey does have a well-defined character now as part of the Gallus group because on the on the Indies before he became part of NXT UK he was the Iron Man Joe Coffey with an Iron Man mask and he came out to Iron Man and it was just it was just so over gimmicked like this is working for him a hell of a lot better. Yeah, and like really my only my biggest like knowledge parts of Joe Coffey are when he wrestled Kurt Angle for ICW at the Hydro. And in their first like big hydro show for ICW, and when he was on World of Sports with his brother Mark Coffey, which made me laugh when they said um, in the video package where he's like, uh, "With the I watched the first NXT UK show from home." Uh, well, yeah, what was I doing when that show was on? And uh, my first thought was, "You were wrestling for World of Sport, you were. <laughs> <laughs> you were annoyed." Well, that's but- that one. He's done absolutely brilliantly in channeling that sense of like he's Eddie Dennis times ten in the sense of how he's how he's what I loved so much about his demeanor um, ahead of the match and there are a few moments in the match as well where he got to express it was that he was he was a complete picture of serenity like he wasn't raging he wasn't running about he wasn't doing an ultimate warrior you know charging around like a madman or a you know he didn't do any sort of angry 
there was no angry body language there. It was calm. It was composed. But behind those steely eyes, you could tell this is a guy who's, who's majorly pissed off. And the and the emphasis in his words in the video package before the match, the way he emphasized what he was saying in his diction was, so I found so sort of magnetic. He was a really genuinely compelling antagonist. And I know that Maverick has said this in the past, and I have to agree with him. I mean, watched the match last night and seen what, combining that with what Coffee did and Tony is that, you know, Triple H has come out since last night's show and said that he doesn't see everybody from NXT UK maybe moving to the main roster, but Joe Coffey is someone who absolutely should because I think he could really achieve great things uh, on the main roster after, of course, he's achieved great things in NXT UK. And what I really liked as well about, about suddenly it struck me, he was Scottish Triple H. <laughs> like, you know, he had, um, you know, he had the sort of the green green accents on his trunks with the skull um you know he he had green light when he came out and he was and he hit the ring and the light went you know the, the ring went green um <laughs> he's wearing green socks under his uh, under his wrestling boots it was like hang on a minute <laughs> <laughs> um but it was what i really like about joe coffee is he wrestles with like such such intensity and you know he's he's a bruiser. He's just he's just he's got his barrel chest and he whacks you around the head with these forearms, these discus clotheslines. But then he can go to another gear like that movie hit off the top rope on on Dunn when Dunn had him in the sort of joint manipulation and he took him up to the top rope, basically just chucks him off it. Hmm. It was just fantastic because every time he thought the match was getting to a crescendo, there was another gear to it. Um, and it was a war. And I know that Pete Dunne's matches are almost always presented as a war, but that really was a war. Like one thing I really liked, which I didn't put together until like they revealed it on the VTR package thing, but it was um, Joe Coffey saying, yes, I was bitter. Uh, like, I'm extremely bitter. Yeah. And then at the end of it, uh, Pete Dunne going, he's going to meet his bitter end. It's like, oh yeah, that's your finisher. Oh, that bloody, yes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it all ties together. Uh, uh, but yeah, um, the match itself, uh, whenever somebody has said to me, well, why don't WWE do uh, matches like New Japan? So, well, I'd say this is why, because the fans don't like 10 minutes of headlocks and slowly figuring out your opponent and testing stuff out. They all start to get a bit tired and stuff, and that happened with this one. Well, I feel like at the start, the well, crowd were maybe not as invested into it, but... Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely... In-ring fashion is something I think that a lot of wrestling fans don't often pay a lot of uh, or give a lot of um, thought to. And, you know, because what's fashionable to do in, in matches changes over time. What, you know, was popular in the 1980s wasn't popular 10 years later in the 1990s, for example. And uh, this is something that uh, a guy like Dean Ambrose on the main roster has come and stuck with time and time again in terms of how the popular fan base perceive him because he he's an old-school wrestler in terms of a lot of his matches will start off slow, they'll tell stories in a slow way. It's what Seth and Dean came unstuck with at TLC. They told a very psychologically driven match. And unfortunately, that just isn't that fashionable anymore. Fans want high-octane, in-your-face, explosive, you know, lots of content, more-is-more type stuff. Um, I, the main event left me torn because I was, as I was writing my column, which I was doing in real time... Uh, I was heaping praise on it and heaping praise on it, heaping praise on it. I thought the first sort of 20 minutes of it was absolutely fantastic, including all the feeling out at the start. I love the way that they were. It's what uh, Dunn and Ricochet did so well in NXT last year when they wrestled is that both of them seemed to stick very tightly to their own, um, uh, 
you know, their own chosen style. Pete was always going for the joint manipulation. Joe was always sort of using his overwhelming power. Um, I loved there were little character touches in there. Up to the, I loved it all up to the point where Joe hit that um, power bomb on the edge of the ring, um, which was a, a properly like shudder-inducing moment. And I, I, for the life of me, don't understand what this obsession is these days with doing moves on the edge of the ring. But anyway, which was a huge. Blame Kevin Owens, basically. Well, quite, yeah, quite. It's like you're, you're in your early 20s. Don't wreck your body before you even get to the, you know, to wherever you might want to be getting to. But anyway, not to get sidetracked. Uh, then, and I, and I even love that moment. And then the moment after, when they both get back in the ring, and you see that, and you see Joe Coffey sort of lock eyes with Pete Dunne, and he's, his face is as focused as it was before the match even started. And by now, we're 25 minutes into this thing, and there was this look. And I think McGuinness mentioned it on commentary. It looked like Pete Dunne was doubting himself, which was the first time we'd ever really seen Pete Dunne doubt himself. And I thought, had the ending happened at that point, it would have been whichever way you wanted to go with it. It would have been perfect. Um, but then they did the thing, and this is a this is a planned thing more than it is anything else, and I appreciate that, and I know that I'm I'm really in a minority with this. But then they did that thing that has now become so vogue in NXT particularly, which is they added another, I mean in this case another 20 minutes of stuff on top of all of that, and it just and this is why I didn't really care for any Champo Champa Gargano matches last year because they did the same thing, and it just gets to the point where I just think this is. I, they lose me because I start to think this is beyond ridiculous at this point. I don't know whether... I mean, what do you guys think? You know the two moments when Joe fell off the top rope? Because to me, they they looked like mistakes. I don't know if they were planned or not. But the after second the one did. I thought the uh, first one was planned. The first, mm-hmm. Well, the th- yeah, maybe then. Uh, the, the first one, I was like, okay, that's, that's the moment. You know, that's when they started to draw me back in again. Then when they went uh, up to the top a second time and fell off again, at that point I was like, this is dangerously starting to flirt with something quite disastrous. Yeah. At the same time, I actually liked the fact that those spots went the way they did because the fact that it wasn't so perfectly choreographed for us. drama, yeah. Yeah, and like you said, this is an absolute war. Like, sometimes in these type of matches, I don't want to see things go completely to, um, well, for lack of a better word, plan. Because um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you, you know, it, it, I was in the moment because it wasn't wasn't going the way you expect it to. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. I would usually agree with plan. I, I'm. I think there are far too many matches in the modern day which go for far too long. However, on this occasion, uh, it never lost me at any point. I I, I did stay invested in it. Um, whether that's because. You know, I've become such a big Joe Coffey fan. And I was just really enjoying him getting that kind of moment on the big stage or not. I don't know. But um, it, on this occasion, I thought that the 34 minute runtime actually, actually, it worked well for me, you know, um, um, just, it, which it wouldn't usually. But in this case, it did. Just before him jumps in with with his thoughts, then I, I'll, I'll say one other thing, which is anyone who follows my work will know you know i i, I these days i i look at, at wrestling a lot in terms of genre and and if you think about and doc and i wrote a column on this uh, a long time ago now where we looked at the quote quote epic match as a genre which is when you get these sort of consciously overlong matches with heaps of content that just keep going and going and going and going like the gargano champa matches that really you could probably say became the big fashionable thing after sean and the undertaker did it at, at wrestlemania 25 that year as far as that kind of a match goes that it's not for me i don't particularly care much for for any version of that kind of match that i can think of there may be one or two that spring to mind but i will say that i thought 
you know, if you looked at last night's main event, in, if I look at last night's main event in that context, then there are a few that spring to mind that would be executed quite as uh, effectively as I thought Coffee and Dunn did last night. So I thought the kind of for the kind of match they wrestled, it was great. It's just not necessarily my kind of match. Yeah, so it's when I say it was like a wrestling a Japanese match, I, it really is just with the really slow start where they're filling each other out and it slowly escalates and escalates. And it was funny watching Twitter because quite a few, obviously, Twitter reacts way too negatively like immediately before wait, letting things play out. It's just yeah, that that annoys me when it does that. But it was kind of interesting seeing the reactions on Twitter of just people being annoyed that things weren't in that high octane gear. But then by the end of the match, none of them were complaining and you're kind of thankful for that beginning bit because it really it adds more to the match with the feeling out thing and then it, well, goes into, it descends into mayhem rather than it immediately being there. I mean, again, talking about you know what's fashionable in the ring, you've seen a heavier and heavier and heavier influence as, as Japanese wrestling has mm. become more popular and WWE's moved towards introducing more and more indie talents off that circuit because obviously a lot of guys will go and, and do a stint in Japan. Uh, that that's really I think started to heavily influence what we see in WWE, including on the main roster. Um, and I think it's that last twenty minutes that's probably the difference between a traditional WWE kind of match and a Japanese match, which is where you know a WWE match might cut itself off twenty minutes before a Japanese match would. And maybe that's why it's it's not necessarily to my taste because obviously I'm a WWE guy. Uh, uh, through and through but I will say um, you know on the point you make there about how people became thankful for that first you know slower period and I've said this to other people who've accused other matches particularly ones that I love of being too slow you know oh I think the first 10 minutes are too slow or whatever it's it's curious to me that people feel like they can separate 10 minutes of a match from another 10 minutes of a match when the whole thing is one thing. Mm. And the only reason why the last 10 minutes are as dramatic and effective as they are is because of the slower first 10 minutes mm. leading up to it. You know, you can't you can't say, oh, I, I love the end of Die Hard, but everything before it is crap <laughs> because the end of Die Hard's only good because of everything that comes before it. Right. So it's it's yeah. it's that continues to baffle me how people will use that as a as a critique of matches. And it's, it's strange, isn't it? Like you say, Pun, fashion's come in and out, but I distinctly remember when Punk and Cena first started wrestling those matches, they were widely lauded for, for doing yeah. all this chain wrestling at the beginning. And it's it's kind of, yeah, I guess people's perceptions, you know, kind of shift with time and stuff like that. But, you know, you go back and watch any great match um, and you'll see that obviously, you know, the the intensity has to kind of, grow and yes there'll be rare occasions where it will just like i mean i guess the 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 exception that proves the rule i guess is like um is brett austin where it's literally just crazy intensity from the first bell and you know they're fighting through the crowd in the first kind of like minute of the match but but generally speaking you need that um simmering intensity for for the later stages to matter yeah, and it's context appropriate, isn't it? It's yes, about exactly. context. The reason why Austin and Brett, of course, do that is because it's a it's a high intensity feud that's been going for months, and Brett was on the verge of a character change that would define the rest of the year. So it was appropriate for them to go at it from the off. Sometimes it's appropriate to do the feeling out process instead. One criticism I've always I've always had of Sami Zayn is that his matches always seem to start with chain wrestling, whether it's appropriate or not, whether it's suitable or not, and it drives me mad. It's like wrestling matches have to start with that. Well no, it's you know it's 
how the story goes. In, in the case of, of Dunn and Coffey, you know, these two, my understanding is, have had a, a series of run-ins. They're both fully, I mean, Dunn, is, Dunn tasted a power bomb through a table, so he knows how strong Coffey is. And, and Dunn's been champion for over 600 days, so Coffey's going to know how dangerous Dunn is. So, of course, they're going to be cautious to begin with, because as far as I'm aware, they'd never wrestled one-on-one up to that point. It's high stakes. It's a big stage. First takeover Blackpool. They're not going to want to make a mistake. They're not going to want to flub this opportunity. And both of them ultimately want to walk away with the UK title. So, of course, they're going to start cautiously until they begin to kind of feel one another out. And one of the most impressive parts of the match that I loved the most was the way that by the time you did get to around the 25-minute mark, it felt like Pete Dunne had totally run out of tricks and that he was surviving by just sort of sidestepping when Joe was going for big moves and he was reduced to just use, using his, his signatures because he tried everything and it hadn't worked. Especially as Dunne like in that latter half of the match, suddenly he's, he lost the ability to avoid the lariat. And he got caught with it so many times. Yeah. And he was just out. I don't know if they were using that as Coffee's finisher for that kick out thing, but he was, yeah, he was caught by it again and again. And that really added to the fact that Coffee, he wasn't able to avoid Coffee. He couldn't best him in that kind of scenario. And and the way that, um, when the, I think it's the second time Dunn hit the bitter end, uh, Coffee then rolled out of the ring. Mm. Yeah. Like, and as was, as Dunn rolled over for the pinfall, yeah, which was that that was incredibly clever that spot. Yeah, because then you don't have to do another like close fall kick out kind of thing. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Which which you know I'm sure none of us are big fans of. <laughs> yes, as much as I love Austin and the Rock, <laughs> yeah, everybody kicking out of everybody's finisher. <laughs> that, and again, that was very much yeah. that that match was very much context dependent. Again, you know, yeah. like um, you know, it was it was. Again, Austin was on the verge of that character change, so you know he he hit everything he could on the rock, and in the end, he had no choice but to resort to the steel chair. So, mm. yeah, I, I think I think you know you always have to judge matches in the context they're designed in, right, especially if it's a match where they're really familiar with each other and have wrestled each other plenty of times in the past, and those moves have won those matches in the past against that opponent. When it's like really high, uh, I guess stakes like this match kind of was. It makes sense that they would do that. These are new together, so it, it, to come up with different ways where they're not having to kick out constantly, like, I appreciate that. <laughs> I really like it. Uh, but I do agree with uh, Mav and Leaf, just with the fact that those spots off the top did add to the kind of mayhem feel, just because they weren't as tightly choreographed. It did add a little bit to the danger feeling of the match. Like, um, I think Sa- uh, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, to bring back Sami Zayn, uh, he botched the springboard off to the outside to Kevin Owens I think it's like two years ago now and he almost like landed on his head on the apron or something and Kevin Owens just saved him but that added to the match it ended up being a good thing and uh, it added to the danger feeling and they kind of played off that for the rest of it uh, same thing here I guess after the two it, it felt like two botches but it just because it was two dangerous feeling spots so it really added to the danger of the match and for the rest of it they didn't really let the octane die down at all it continued at that level so that was for me that was like a really important part of the match in the end because it really it set the tone for the rest of it uh, and then in the end well in the end the bitter end never worked Dunn uh, yeah, Dun was never able to beat Coffee with it which I think is quite interesting he had to, he had to go with his uh, finger snap and submission because the bitter end never worked on him what was interesting about that I mean I'm not the biggest fan of that as a submission finisher I think me and Maz talked about that a little while ago um, but the fact that he tried to get that on Coffee and never managed to get it because Coffee had either mm. powered out of it or he had, you know, turned it into something else. 
this time around after such an exhausting match coffee couldn't get out of the uh out of the kind of the hold and and therefore dunn was free to start snapping properly and then that's when he uh that's when he taps out so even though i'm not a big fan of it as a finisher i i i could see the kind of internal logic of it yeah uh chance wise or like i think i caught coffee as a wanker but that was about it <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking in the slower part there must have been chance but I've got nothing there was a bit of this is awesome wasn't there but I guess that doesn't need translating <laughs> <laughs> plus I feel like uh, this is awesome and fight forever now they get used at a much lower level like just like just as uh, I'm enjoying this match has now become this is awesome it's like no this is awesome was for exceptional things <laughs> now it's just for showing a form of enjoyment that, yeah. I mean, there were there were there were. This is awesome, chance when Triple H and the Undertaker wrestled last year. So, hmm. I, mean, <laughs> wow. I mean, as soon as that happened, they lost all sense of credibility. Didn't well, they? It, it was awesomely bad. Hmm. Well, like the uh, Saudi Arabia. Sorry, I mean the Crown Jewel card from undisclosed location. They um, were chanting. Parts unknown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were chanting. We finally know where Ultimate Warriors from. <laughs> but yeah, they chanted, "This is awesome for that Undertaker, Kane, Triple H, or Michaels main event." Mm. Which I've only seen on Botchamania, so I don't actually know <laughs> how it played out. I would but... say it was probably the worst half hour of my life. Right. <laughs> so I'm Keep fine, but I am fine with them chanting it because they don't get this kind of wrestling all the time. Whilst we get it no, all the time. No excuse. Then... <laughs> no excuse. Yeah. yeah, we've got no, no excuse. Him. Yeah, we should have higher standards. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> uh. How about we we refrain from chanting "This is awesome" unless something is actually awesome. <laughs> I don't think I've ever chanted "This is awesome." No, <laughs> in, to be fair, would be in my living room. Would be a bit weird. <laughs> it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. Yeah. <laughs> Was that and? Um... Oh, yeah, obviously, yeah. Someone called me a smark the other day. Uh, I think for, for uh, being on Latter's side with the Hogan thing, and that someone called me a smark, I just had that thought of. I don't think I've ever called anyone, including myself, a smark. <laughs> it's not 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 a term. It's a, it's a bit of a early two thousands term, that isn't it? It's yeah. a bit like, you know, I didn't even know people still said that. Yeah, <laughs> we've learned some I interesting mean, terms this in, week. In fairness, I got called a social justice warrior. So I mean, <laughs> what what are you going to do? <laughs> yes, we've learned all of the internet terms this week <laughs> for people who's on yeah. this. I may actually, uh, you know, start going. If I was ever a wrestler, like, you know, sort of like my title would be Virtue Signaling Clown uh, based on this week's uh, main page feedback. <laughs> would uh, would your finishing names be as long as Zack Sabre Jr.'s? Ooh. I reckon I'd... It'd be like, you know, you'd have to basically have some sort of... I mean, at some point, someone's going to have to run this as a heel gimmick, aren't they? Like a kind of like liberal snowflake gimmick where <laughs> yeah, where you're just yeah. offended by everything. Like someone is oh. going to bring that out at some point. Daniel Bryan. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of going that way, isn't it? Well, um, uh, I've forgotten his... Uh, John Morrison, I, I don't know what name he was using in AAA. Was it Johnny Mundo, I think? Um, his gimmick was he was a Trump supporter. And <laughs> wrestling in Mexico. <laughs> and he got so yeah, much there's a whole stable Team Trump. Yeah, yeah they were called yeah. Team Trump. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of like they like they knew we were like this is going to get immediate heat. <laughs> it doesn't work so well. Uh. That is the end of the main event, and then they you think the show is ending just with Pete Dunne doing his thing, holding the belt. Which someone made a point that 
the uh, replica belts are pretty heavy and they tried to hold that in with their teeth and it was like really difficult never mind the real one how heavy is that pete dunn's got very strong teeth <laughs> is the hidden message whenever he does the he's wearing a he's wearing a big old mouth guard though isn't he so no, 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 he is cheating that's a very good point but the main story came after the uh, t- end of show cards came up uh, nxt did their special of ah that doesn't actually indicate the end because then I forgot what the song's called, but Walter's music hit. Uh, I think Last Ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> if he came out to Kentucky uh, Fried Chicken in a Pizza Hut, <laughs> <laughs> it really doesn't fit the vibe, right? Uh, but yeah, so yeah, he came out. I think has I've forgotten his name. Axel, the other the German lad that's appeared on that oh, UK. Um, Marcel Bartel. That's it, Marcel Bartel. Yeah, so as, I was going to call him Axel Witzel before, I mean, that's a Belgian oh, footballer. Well, yeah. <laughs> he, right. he, he yeah. used to be called like, Axel Dieter Jr. Oh, that's why, yeah. I'm doing yeah. The, uh, the indie name thing again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's his what's his name? Marcel Bartel is the... Mar- uh, Marcel Martel. Bartel. Yeah. Okay, I got yeah. excited there. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, it's like him and Eichner have kind of formed their little... It's kind of oh, like... Union. Yeah, hmm. it's kind of... It's a bit like... Um, World War Two. Well, if, well, you know, Axis Power. Yeah, Maz, Maz was like, it's all got a bit Axis Powers. I was like, steady on, Maz. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's quite cool because it's got that kind of, um, you know, Guerrero Benoit type of vibe, like these two ultra technical guys like forming a forming a tag team, and they they're kind of doing a thing with Mark Andrews and um, Bash Morgan Webster at the moment. Hmm. So, um, so Marcel Bartel. I'm going to keep saying it like that, so I actually remember his name. He was the well, first time I ever saw him was he was teaming with Walter because they are from WXW, the German promotion, and they're in a stable called Ringkampf. So I wouldn't be surprised if they teamed up Eichner and Bartel to then team up with Walter to form maybe an NXT version of Ringkampf because the fans are calling for it. They they're, they're really hyped for the idea because WXW are one of those promotions that are are working with WWE like Progress are. It's just like mm. they're in Germany. Where Black came from, right? It's where Alistair Black came from. Uh, I think he's he's one of those who's wrestled for everybody, though. I can't remember yeah. where he came from. I'd assume WXW uh, would be one of his first because he is from the Netherlands, but I know he's prevalent on the UK scene and he wrestled quite a lot in America as well. Uh, yeah. I'm not, yeah, so I'm not sure about Black. But he... Um, yeah, so the whole ring camp thing is an interesting idea. And Walter is... Yeah, it's like when um, somebody says, oh, the indie scene's nothing but kids doing flips and things. Like, what? Are you mad? Keith Lee, Walter, <laughs> and <laughs> somebody else I can't think of. They they were all um, massive stars on the indie scene. <laughs> like these massive lads who are just chopping the shit out of each other. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, the indie scene has some variation nowadays. But yeah, these Walter is, he's become one of the guys where like every promotion he wrestled for seemed to make him their champion. Like he's called Ring General for a reason. I mean, he's he's. I mean, just just from the point of view of someone that's that literally had never seen him before that moment. Obviously, mm-hmm. I got the, the the sense from the pop that this was a big this was a big deal. But like, he's got the Napoleonic great coat on mm-hmm. with Ring General on the back. And by the way, if WWE shops start selling those, I will hand over all money to to own one. Um, and then he he, he walks to the route. He walks to the ring. Like he's got one hand behind his back, which kind of was reminded me a bit of William Regal, that kind of, you know, arrogant way of walking. He gets in the ring, 
And then Coffee gets back in there to sort of be like, oh, don't you dare steal my moment. And he just boots him over the top rope. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this guy is awesome. Like, yeah, I, I am I am all in already. Everything everything about him is is was felt totally napoleonic the coat the music yeah. even the even the stance like when he kind of just put both hands behind his back and puffed his chest out in front of pete dunn was a nice little nice little moment i thought i was i thought i was watching a villain from sharp yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> When he booted Joe Coffee, um, it sort of reminded me of like when you're playing like Final Fantasy and you beat the main boss, but then suddenly you have that <laughs> secret final boss, like, <laughs> like that the level just stepped up. The other thing about Volta as well is, um, I wonder in like Austria and Germany whether it's just like having a wrestler over here just called Dave. Already oh, <laughs> much, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's an unusual name. Mm. But, but the fact, but the fact, the fact that it's so different again makes him. I mean, as if his, you know, height and size wasn't enough, makes him stand out. Mm. Well, like he, I love, I love the way the crowd kind of just go, Volta, Volta, <laughs> just in, Gold, like, in the... Goldberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's essentially like the Goldberg thing of we are, like they're just hypnotized and ready to watch you beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> like I love. How, yeah. how good is he? What I say is the way he wrestles, he's very good. <laughs> what's his? What's how does he wrestle? What's his style like? What does oh, he? I I call it big lad Oops. wrestling. <laughs> but big what, lad wrestling. Yeah. But what I mean by that is, um, it's big lad wrestling. But it's also when I say the strong style, I mean he will chop the living shit out of you. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Are we talk, are we talking Kane basically? Like similar? Um, like you know, big guy but can move, can boot you in the face. Kind of, like he is one of those athletic big guys, but like one of his main traits mm. uh, on the indie scene was people taking chops from him, just because he yeah. was, like everyone's chest was like bright red and kind of bleeding I, in a way. <laughs> you're gonna go where I think you're gonna go here. Mention Mark Davis, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was like it basically he there was a match where he gave so many chops to a wrestler that it was as if that wrestler had the crimson mask put on their chest. Yeah, it was <laughs> insane just from the chops. Mm. So that's going to be one of the things he's famous for on the indie circuit. Uh, I don't know what WWE are going to do because I don't know if they count so many chops that you start bleeding from the chest as PG or not. <laughs> I'm not sure if that fits. It doesn't seem like a very WWE thing on the, the on the, you know at first glance, mm. but it does. It adds to his kind of brutality in the ring. He's really he fit in really well with Matt Riddle, like the UFC kind of style, but slightly more. Grounded in UFC, he fit really well in there. He fit with Keith Lee, like another big man, like hitting each other really, really stiff. So I'd say he's a stiff wrestler. To whatever. Closer to Stan Hansen. <laughs> if I can label him somebody. Oh, God. Is J- is, is JBL, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> but just like the, the stiff style, like holding nothing back. Uh, but he also does like the super. Again, of course, he does a German suplex <laughs> coming from WXW. Austri- I hope he calls it an Austrian suplex because that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> like I'd be all in on that gimmick. Like yeah, get you really annoyed at people calling it a German suplex. No, actually, it's an Austrian suplex. <laughs> You're opening a can of worms there, though, aren't you? Because that angle's going to be like oh, it's American suplex. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to jump down that well. Um, Although to be fair, Kurt Angle should really be like it's barely a suplex. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he's yeah, big lad doing big lad wrestling, holding nothing back, stiff style. So I don't really know who in WWE I compare him to. That's why I said Stan Hansen, <laughs> just with the stiff style. Well, so I mean, Luke Harper. Or uh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's well, that's 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 Luke Harper. Always got 
compared, didn't he, to like being a Stan Hansen throwback, for yeah. example, when he like was he's, like early on. Obviously, the massive difference is the character. So like, he's a really yes. calm and assertive general compared to like the wild man kind of thing. So, like, he is controlling the ring and everything. That's kind of how his matches go. Is he is the one in control? And it wouldn't be a bit, a bit like uh, like early Cesaro. Yeah, well, yeah, like, like sort of yeah. early WWE Cesaro when he was kind of doing all that sort of speaking five languages and stuff, oh, yeah. which apparently is like you know a good a good indicator of whether you're a heel or not. Is if you can if you're multilingual, <laughs> you must be a heel. And the whole that I'm a rugby player, I am. <laughs> he came out with all the different. That was really odd. Yeah, yeah. it's like a, a Swiss rugby player. I, yeah. I, honestly, like it's like research fail from WWE. <laughs> <laughs> <That's hot. laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, Leaf, you've not really, I've not really let you talk about Walter <laughs> so far. Uh, do you want to go mental on what you know about Walter? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was quiet then because I was trying to to think if I was to take two wrestlers and combine them, what's um, mm. you know what would make a Volta and uh, the best I can think of is when Luke Harper got mentioned in the conversation him maybe even him versus Joe uh, him combined with Joe Coffey like because he got sort of like the, the the very sort of brute style um, the thing with Volta he's um, he's refreshing because you'd I can't get my words out I'm sorry lads but um, basically he's the, the whole ring camp thing was they were Fighting with Honor, um, so that stable ring camp with um, him, um, Marcel Bartel, as is now known, and uh, Timothy Thatcher, along with um, um, Alexander Wolf as well, actually was a part of it at one point um, on the Indies. Um, absolutely tough lads, but then also they were always fighting with Honor in the ring, and that's um, that sort of thing that you'll get with him. Even if he, even if they go down the route of turning heel, I don't think they'd ever sort of go down the the route of the cheating tactics all the time it will always be that he's a heel because he's this big strong bond villain that's too you know masterfully too hard to, to, to beat really um i think some of some of the matches that you need to sort of pick out with him is that they had an absolute classic with um zach saber jr i believe it's down in um well a few matches with him i think actually in pwg um he's it's one of those wrestlers where you can put him up against absolutely any style and he's not phased by it. Like you can put him in there with a submission artist or another hoss fight. It feels like so far his track record is impeccable. Um, so that bodes well for anyone on the roster. But to, to be honest with you, um, I think my brain's just gone now at this point because <laughs> I can't remember too much more to say. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. I really like the idea of the Bond villain. Like this was the stare off. But they're not going to meet for a while, and maybe mm. they'll yeah, yeah, yeah. have him fight through NXT's version of Ring Camp to get to him as the ultimate final boss or whatever, like a whole new wave for Pete Dunne. I wouldn't be surprised if Walter wins the title because he is that good, and his character might want it. Depends. Again, it's too early. Leaf will know before the rest of us how it goes. <laughs> but it's <laughs> well, we talked about this on the on the on the ponds, and we were sort of saying, you know, it feels like uh, you know Dunne has is is definitely too kind of. I don't like to say too big for the brands, but, but, you know, it seems like a good time now to transition that belt. Somebody else, I thought coffee would, was, would be a good person to, to, to put it on. But actually, you know, if this is, you know, if this is, uh, the plan now that is going to go to Walter, then I think, I think that'll work as well. I just think at this point, like you, you'd, we talked about who might be main roster call-ups, 
um, this year on our prediction show. And, you know, Dunn was definitely a name that came up as somebody that, that feels ready. I think quite apart from um, <clears throat> from any call-up that might come his way, I, I do feel like it was a bit of a, a misjudged idea to keep the championship on Dunn last night. Uh, mainly because I, I don't... You know, obviously they're, they're now gearing up for this Walter thing, and that's that's fine. Um, but at the same time, Ian Leaf was talking earlier about how they'd you know pulled this trick a couple of times with having a favourite in a tournament, and then you 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 switch that on its head to make a star out of someone else, then go back to the to the favourite at a later date. And I think a similar thing could apply here. I don't you know you could have easily put the championship on Coffee, um, who's who's obviously a big dude. So there's an appeal there between him and Walter. It would have given Pete given Pete done something to chase after. By Pete Dunne beating him, and beating him in such an exhaustive match as well, a match that left absolutely no room for the imagination to think what else they, could they be capable of. It felt like a definitive victory for Pete Dunne over Joe Coffey last night. So I worry that there's, that there's now not really much room to revisit that. Um, and you're then going to give Pete Dunne to Walter. I don't know, it just it feels like they... It felt last night felt like the perfect opportunity to give the brand a sense of forward momentum by or continuing its sense of forward momentum by switching the championship on to someone new um, to create scope for Pete Dunne to chase for a little while um, and to create... And I mean, if you're interested in, in further establishing a clear... Because roster positioning is everything in my mind and people won't ever convince me of anything else. And if you want to create a clear, like, top echelon of talent, a main event scene, for lack of a better word... Um, you, you by switching the title last night, you could have had Dunn, Coffee, and Walter, and I mean it may still end up that way. I just feel like they missed a trick. Yeah, I feel like uh, Walter kicking uh, uh, Joe Coffee off of the vote ring. Uh, I can't say it, off of the ring apron. That might have set off something we're going to see on NXT with Walter feuding with Coffee maybe first to kind of Perhaps, establish yeah. Walter. Uh, again, there could be the ring camp thing as well. We don't really know at this point, but yeah, it's an exciting acquisition in Walter. Plus, um, I would say. Um, I had a quick chat with uh, Omega Luke from Omega Luke Podcast on Twitter because he uh, bought, tweeted, tweeted something from the Voices of Wrestling. He was saying, showing a bit of concern of uh, WWE. When he saw Walter come up, he got a bit concerned that WWE seemed to be signing everybody. The reason I had the conversation mm-hmm. with Omega Luke was pretty much because of all the people to give that reaction, Walter's an odd one because he specifically did not want to move out of Europe and NXT UK fits him like a glove. So he he didn't want to move out of Europe, so therefore he's not going to sign for any of those other companies anyway. So he doesn't really fit with that WWE uh, over over narrative of dominance. It's like, well, he doesn't want to move out of Europe, so he's not going to wrestle for AEW anytime soon. <laughs> so does it really matter? Um, but yeah, NXT UK fits him like a glove. So that's my kind of my biggest takeaway from that and kind of this whole water thing is. Uh, he is a guy who doesn't want to move to America. He's just moved really into like Europe to properly. I think he moved to Germany to properly like help with like training and things at WXW and to wrestle for NXT UK. He doesn't want to move to America, which means you've pretty much got an established guy who isn't going anywhere, and he's such a big name as well. So it'd be quite interesting to see how they build. And for the NXT UK brand, that means they've likely got a mainstay wrestler at least for the next few years, which is. An interesting way to see how the brand gets built off of that. You assume most then, of the top guys would get elevated. There's rumours of them started up the NXT Germany as well, so mm. be interesting to see what happens then if they start at top and Walter's still the champion here. They're going to do like a hostile sort of takeover storyline where he suddenly announces that he's going to be taking the belt with him, or I think I think. 
I think the signs have been in place for a while now that they're, they're going to end up heading back towards a territory-style system with talent yeah. cycling in and out. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how it pays off in the end of the world dominance. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it's the it's a fascinating time for wrestling because, you know, when we, we've got a clear idea now about what NXT UK is. It's like when they first created the championship, it was like, okay, okay, what now then? Um, and you know, it took them a while to get around to doing another tournament. They did that, and now we have got the show. We had the first takeover, and it's like, you know, it's been a breath of fresh air. Like I've, I've loved every minute. Hmm. And uh, so, plan has asked if it actually fits. I didn't think I'd be able to fit this into the show like nice and easily. But it was to do with uh, why is there? Gosh, I had to read up Sam, Sir Sam's question. Uh, why are people on the British indie scene are mad at NXT UK, which is. <laughs> a bit of a nice simple question uh, David Fennantel has nicely answered for him for the economist on Laws of Pain uh, pretty much saying everything I would say but I'll say it for the rest of you as well uh, essentially they've WWE signed these UK talents to exclusive contracts not all of them just like the top tier maybe mid to top tier as well however they specifically said beforehand that they weren't planning to do that but really that's because they, they didn't know what they were doing with it and now they've got a much clearer uh-huh. idea and a plan going forward they pretty much feel like they need to do that to take NXT UK any further they need to actually be signed properly to the WWE brand and they didn't know they were going to do a performance centre presumably that's something that's come about relatively recently so like I think Pete Dunne put this the best um, when he wrote some tweets on it which is to say you know like obviously the goal for most of us is to get to WWE I've put 15 years into the British indie scene like you know um, and now it's time for me to give that spot up to somebody else to get that chance. Yeah. Uh, so you, I, I think, you know, people, I mean, I guess, I guess a lot of, I don't want to generalize too much, but some indie fans are, tend to be quite anti WWE and see them as the kind of, as a kind of uh, exploitative, oh, you're sucking the life out of the indie scene. But really, if all, if these, these top guys, they go to WWE on exclusive contracts, well, surely that opens up space for other people to replace them. Definitely, I'm completely on that mindset. There, this is actually a good thing because a good few years ago, I mean, where were the um, the Pete Dunne's Trent Seven salivates mm-hmm. on shows, but they didn't have that big name value. This just creates an opportunity, like you say, for the next ones of those to to step forward. Um, and places like Progress, that have already have a relationship with the WWE, um, now can develop then the next top stars, which will go over there. If, if anything, it strengthens the British independence because. Dude, you're always going to need these new talents for the UK Performance Centre for NXT UK. And it's just essentially these independent shows now have just become the, the new feeder system. Yeah, and I think the most telling thing to me is like immediately after this argument jumped up, uh, came up about and there was like a huge thing and loads of anti-WWE messages were posted on Twitter. Like the day after, Osprey versus Pack sold out in like, <laughs> like record time. <laughs> it was like, the Indies are going to be fine. We, look, we've got Neville now. He's one of ours. <laughs> At least until AEW starts up. <laughs> it's just, I mean, yeah. you, well, this is the thing. Like, not only are the Indies fine, they're thriving, aren't they? Yeah. Because you've just had, you've had AEW come into existence, which you know, as recently as five years ago, would probably have been unthinkable. And that's happened because wrestlers like Cody and the Young Bucks have done so well on that indie circuit, you know, and sold out. I mean, I don't, I can't remember what the number is for all in, but it was one of the first indie shows in, in maybe decades to have, to have shifted that, those kind of numbers in terms of, 
uh, a live crowd outside of WWE. So, you know, I mean, the between, you know, these, these territorial NXTs cropping up and these performance centers now emerging in these other countries and between, you know, people moving away from indie circuits for other people to get shots and between uh, stars leaving WWE to do well in Japan and so forth, between NJPW's success, which continues to grow, between AEW springing up, I can see absolutely no reason why anyone should have any fear, even if WWE starts signing people to exclusive contracts. And the other thing is, you know, speaking from the perspective as a WWE fan, um, <clears throat> it's got to give at some point. Like, you put too many people on a boat, it sinks. Uh, and WWE are in a situation right now where because they haven't redressed the balance between NXT's success and NXT's original purpose, they've got this revolving door that's loading more and more and more and more and more people onto a main roster that no longer, it's not just a case of don't know how to use, but cannot physically use because they've only got five hours of TV a week. You know, which is insane that we're in this situation where we're saying they've only got five hours of TV a week, but that's nevertheless the situation where we're in. So at some point, whether WWE want to accept it or not, something has to give. And whether that's, God forbid, them introducing more TV shows, or whether that's them coming to realise this kind of isn't working very well, and we, you know, and the other thing is as well, once AEW gets going and it's got its TV, it's got its TV show going, it does its first big event, and depending on how successful that is, it's easy to believe it's going to be a guaranteed success, which of course it isn't. But it, you would imagine it's going to be successful at least in the immediate. You don't know how many people being used in WWE are going to want to jump ship when their contracts run out. So you've got a business, an industry, that is in absolute flux right now. So there's there's no reason but to be excited as wrestling fans. And I think that's a very positive note to end on. <laughs> With all of our jokes and our negativeness and happy... This has actually been quite a happy show. I think we've done quite well. <laughs> Not been that negative. But to be fair, it was a very, very good show. So like any... Any post-takeover show. <laughs> I've not really been negative afterwards anyway. Uh, so, a huge thank you to Mav, Plan and Leaf for doing this. And me, obviously. <laughs> for suddenly remembering last week that this show was actually happening. <laughs> just So, like, last Sunday, just messaged everybody. like, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> it's next week. Are you guys actually free still? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, very, very lucky. Uh, anyway, so... With that, uh, we'll plug all of our stuff. So let's start with Mav first. Plug all of your shit, Mav. Uh, well, <laughs> obviously, you can listen to it's me. It's a healthy suggestion. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> um, I did at one point be the. I was known as the uh, TRS OTP app because during that infamous time where like Michael Carr was always plugging the WWE app, and then it was like, you know, I'd always like be plugging my stuff. But hey, I'm more restrained these days. But no. Um, Obviously, listen to the right side of the pond uh, on Fridays with me, Plan, and Maz. And then um, my most recent column uh, is about the inverted commas new era of WWE. So you can read that still on the main page. And hopefully, I'll have something new up this Thursday as well. Plan, plug your shit. Uh, you can catch me on the right side of the pond with Mav on Fridays. You can catch me on Sports Entertainment is Dead on Wednesdays on Lords of Pain Radio. You can also catch my columns on always on a Sunday uh, sometimes during the week as well at the minute I'm running uh, a series that's gone over really well from the first entry that I'm abs- having an absolute blast writing which is the top 60 non-winning performances individual performances in Royal Rumble history and the next instalment of that will be dropping later on today Sunday on loadspain.net you can also catch me on the odd RetroShock when Steve and I do them and on Aftershock Live after every WWE pay-per-view and sometimes after takeovers as well I do apologise if you heard a halfway through the plan. I think my stomach has decided it's hungry. 
And also follow me on Twitter at LOP Plan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Leaf. Uh, I'm still in retirement at the moment, but um, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'll be at the show today, so I will be posting spoilers on my timeline of matches. So if you want to, swiftly avoid... goes the mute leaf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no interested. I've got that. Uh, what is your Twitter? Oh yeah, actually yeah, leaf. Um, sorry, it's now Ryan Leaf Plant. Is it, it's, that's why it's changed like every time I've had you on. <laughs> I really struggle with it. Only changed once. Oh, okay. That's, that's more than enough for me. <laughs> it's too much. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the damn Implicat. Uh, I'm trying to post every Monday now, and we'll see how that goes. And I'll be po- if there's a new Japan show, I'll be posting around there. Uh, I'm live every Thursday with the Perfect Ten Wrestling Show. Uh, this week I've got Clive from the Ricky and Clive Show, aka Two or Five Clive, our Two or Five Live uh, reporter for Laws of Pain. Uh, we'll be on to talk like two or five live to uh, NXT UK. <laughs> You've said Clive and live more yes. times in the last minute, <laughs> and I didn't feck it up once. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, so I've got him on the show uh, this week, and the next week I'll have uh, my former co-host Burn to preview the Royal Rumble. Yeah, that's the Royal Rumbles. Well, like next week, or well, not next week? You know what I mean? I'm previewing it the next week, <laughs> so it's like it's insanely close. I was I was looking ahead for um, like booking uh, some people on Sports Entertainment is dead before WrestleMania and I realised like I think the end of January and the beginning of February if you do previews and reviews there's like four weeks in a row where you're previewing <laughs> or reviewing a pay-per-view because you've got the Royal Rumble and then after I think it's like maybe two weeks after that you've got like Elimination Chamber and it's only about three weeks after that you've then got Fastlane I mean it's just ridiculous man yeah. it, was that, that, it was that crazy that crazy time one summer when they randomly started they decided to do Elimination Chamber out of nowhere having not oh, planned yeah, to yeah. do it and then suddenly there was just like four pay-per-views in a row <laughs> if I might yeah. Uh, wasn't that the Elimination Chamber as well, where they had like it was awful and everything went wrong and yeah. Yeah. it was like Sheamus winning the Intercontinental Title in a, in a, in a, a was it Ryback? Sorry, yeah. yeah. And then and Mark then... Henry's pod opened early, yeah. or the door came down or something. And I was like, oh shit, what do we? What do we... <laughs> I remember the match seemed to literally like nobody did anything for about two minutes, and they all just stood around looking at each other. And the tag one where Callisto like climbs the cage to like oh, jump yes. off the top, and then it completely botched it. <laughs> but <laughs> it is headlined by uh, by Seth and Dean in an awesome match. So yeah, yeah, right. So, I think we've gone on a huge tangent. Uh, uh, please do listen to all the other shows here on Laws of Pain. Uh, Mondays, you've got Kingdom of Honor with Jamin and Jeff. Tuesdays is the Global Revolution, followed by Rich Latter and James Boyd of One Nation Radio live after SmackDown. Wednesdays, you've got Plan Seed All Up In You with Spots of David is Dead. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> uh, Thursday, I am on with Perfect Ten Wrestling with Clive. Uh, Friday is the right side of the pond. And then Saturday and Sunday are Wild Cards. <laughs> you get random stuff uh, if, especially if it's a New Japan show you're likely to get Janman on doing something uh, of course next not next in two weeks time you'll have Plan live maybe with Steve for the Aftershock he turns up Steve, the... will, Steve yeah Steve yeah. will be there he always finds a way to be there God have, God, God forbid that he doesn't because then you've got me waffling on for <laughs> two hours about Royal Rumble at about 6am in the morning uh, on my own unrelegated uh, are you covering you. TakeOver as well uh, we call that one by the seat of our pants, so uh, just keep your eyes peeled on Twitter to see whether or not we do or we don't. Right. Because um, if we do, I'll announce it on Twitter. Right, I ended a little bit early there. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, yeah, I've, we've plugged all of this shit. So with that, I bid you adieu. Adios. Bye. Bye.
We are listening to Vince McMahon. <laughs> oh, we didn't mention it. <laughs> so, this is our this is our post this is our NXT post title card thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so plans thing that way. He messaged me on Twitter yesterday. He's like, I thought they were chanting. Are you listening in Japan? Are you watching in <laughs> Japan? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, I was like, Pete Dunne's like British strong style, so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, as I said to him on Twitter, you got the in, the a, and the n correct, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, so that, this is now the proper end of our show with our extra bonus show. Hooray! <laughs> Like in oh, sorry, another dungeon. Sign off in. <laughs> yeah, it, oh. it is the uh, the Avengers post credit scene. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch American football, they don't call it extra time; they call it extra bonus football. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> right, adios. <laughs>